Rest in peace, Pixel Opus. And checking the pulse on the rest of PlayStation Studios. Well, hello and welcome to Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me this week is the one, the only, Mr. Christopher Figueroa. <laughs> what was that? Were you doing your Voldemort impression? No, but that no. could have worked. That could have worked. It was pretty Maybe close. I need to start working on that, you know? If you just did the, uh, has come to die, then you might have you gotten it. I don't know, though, man, because, you know, the Harry Potter characters are all British, so I think you need a little bit more this, isn't it? You know? <laughs> just, a, just a little that bit. That movie would have been way funnier if that's how Voldemort <laughs> sounded. Oh, Harry Potter, you've come to die, mate. <laughs> that's why they, no one wants to name him, because they're all scared that if they say his name, he'll come talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a whole series remade where Voldemort is literally just a guy in the room, and everyone's like, just don't look at him. Don't look at him. Just <laughs> pretend he's not here. He who must not be named is up next to speak. Come on. <laughs> oh. And everyone's just trying to find a way to, like, completely sabotage this actually <laughs> reminds me of a death loop <laughs> yeah. i won't get into too much more uh chris Brent. as our listeners may have noticed and as you and i definitely know we did not have an episode last week uh some stuff came up and we ended up having to move of course with schedules being as they are um we had to just wait until next week because we didn't have another time so we appreciate your patience uh we hope that you're back this week with us and ready to have a good time talking all things playstation Checking in on what's going on, the good, the bad, the ugly of the games industry right now. A um, couple things to talk about. It's been an interesting time since we last recorded. So while we won't cover necessarily everything that was uh, kind of happened in the last two weeks, we will talk about things that we think are most important. So we are going to kind of do an interesting thing today where a few of the things that have happened uh, specifically in PlayStation, but games industry as a whole, we figure it's a good time to kind of look at what's going on within PlayStation Studios and kind of do a recap on what we know about which studios and which partners uh, are doing things for PlayStation so that we can kind of get an idea of what there is on the horizon uh, if we are lucky. But before we get into that, we're going to start to show off the way that we always do, and that's by checking in on what we've been playing. Uh, and it sounds like we've got a little bit longer of a period to talk about some games. So, Chris, without further ado, I'm going to cede the floor to you. What have you been playing? You had a whole week off I did to try and catch off. up in the Platinum race. Where are you at? <laughs> uh, I haven't really platinumed anything. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, no, it's been great. Um, no, I've been really grinding uh, MLB The Show, just going for some of the new cards, um, some of the stuff in the seasons, which... Now that I've said it, I actually have a tangent, but I'll go through my other games first because I found it very <laughs> funny. Um, so, yeah, a lot of MLB 23, the show. I've knocked out a lot of my programs. So my my cards are looking pretty good right now. Um, I have finally bent to the will of some of the people in our Discord, and I have I bought and I'm playing Octopath Traveler 2, and it's, it's phenomenal. Fantastic video game. Uh, one of the most beautiful games I've ever seen in my life. So highly recommend anyone who likes yeah. JRPGs or things that look pretty to play Octopath Traveler 2. You know, this is a quick tangent, but people sometimes talk about how 
uh, graphics are overstated. Mm-hmm. And while I definitely agree with that sentiment, there are times where graphics in the non-traditional sense of most of the time people say graphics and they <coughs> tend to mean photorealism. Yeah. Um, I think that while Octopath Traveler 2 I've heard is a great game and has interesting characters and a good story, this is an example of where I think graphics are a really noticeable and obvious selling point and thing to like celebrate. It's a beautiful yeah. game, and you can see that it's beautiful without even having to buy the game. And this is one of the few times where... It's cool to have the same thing where people are like, I want to buy that game because it looks photorealistic, but people are saying, like, I want to buy that game because it looks so not photorealistic. Yeah. It's, I guess my only pushback would be, I think you're talking about art style and not graphics, but well, I, mean, I think that's you, a pro- problem with the industry at large. It's a misnomer. This is 100% an art style choice and not a graphics choice because the graphics well, aren't good. The art style is good. Which, so you, well, in a way, you're correct, but the art style leans to giving the graphics the ability to shine with what they're trying to do. And I have a similar argument um, for Tearaway, which is one of my games that I'll talk about here in a little bit. But I, I mean, I guess we can go ahead and knock that out. But Tearaway may be the best looking game on Vita because the goal of Tearaway is to look like a paper craft world in the palm of your hands. And it looks like real paper that someone did all these things to. It is photorealistic in a non-realistic way. Does that make sense? Yeah, the art style is really good. <laughs> well, again, the art style choice led, led to exactly what Little Big Planet did, where it's like, we just want to make a world full of toys and items, and we're going to have a sack dude that looks like real burlap sack. And that was why Little Big Planet still looks phenomenal today, because it's photorealism without trying to look real. It's photorealism when the camera is the lens is moved away from humans and reality in the in a weird sense. And where I'm going with that with Octopath is that the way Octopath looks, its graphics are clean and crisp and they look beautiful in the presentation. It's just yeah. that they're not trying to be some incredibly detailed 4K like and almost impossible to hit 4K 60 game. I, I get your point, but I'm still saying that is I'm not, the graphic. I'm not it is doing, the I'm visual not, representation. For I'm the not game. doing silent protagonist again. We're not having a debate because <laughs> I think I think you're straight up just talking about art style. I know what you mean, but I think that's what I was saying. Where you're talking about the art style, but people just lump that in with graphics, and like graphics is just the ones and twos. The art style is what makes Octopath good. The graphics are how I see it. But the art yeah. style decisions being made in Tearaway, in Borderlands, in Tearaway. Hey, I don't, listen, I don't, I think this that's is a separate thing. This is not uh, a silent protagonist thing, clearly, because I agree that graphics is the word that we choose to use for art style. And everyone seems to always like games that push a photorealistic art mm-hmm. style that is stylized just enough to not give you Uncanny Valley. But people tend not to bring up games that art style is photorealistic or really pushes it in a way where it's crisp and clean. So I agree with you. I really wish that that the misnomer would be changed and people would Mm. stop saying the word graphics. Speaking of realistic art style, I've also been playing Chivalry 2 again this week, which we've (laughs) talked about on the show a couple of times. But that game is fantastic. Yeah, now's the time. We're going for it. Because all my friends are playing it. It was free on Plus. 
And like I got this, I got this invite to a party, and I'm like, whatever, I'll play Octopath while they play Destiny. And they're like, you want to play Chivalry? I was like, oh fuck yeah! <laughs> I was so excited, <laughs> and it was nice because it was the one time in my life I've ever been able to be like, why don't you guys just let me teach you how to play for once? <laughs> You'll be like, yes, Sean, I know Square means reload. Like I'll do the same thing in this game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I love Sean, but um, yeah, no. So Chivalry is awesome. We've been I've been having a bunch of uh, sessions on it. They have a new like raid mode, which, I, as someone who's been playing it, it feels just like the other modes. Because <laughs> um, it's basically like if you ever played Conquest and Bad Company Two or anything like that, it's yeah. that it's that exact mode. But I feel like Chivalry already has those, so I think this raid is just longer versions of it, which is it's yeah. cool. It's 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 fun. But yeah, I've just really been enjoying Chivalry too. Anyone who wants to play, hit me up. Um, Brett, you hit me up too. Um, hey, I just have to. Which you know, I don't want to say too much, but I mean, you're changing jobs, so the chances of us getting to play together might actually increase. It'll happen because yeah, I am changing jobs. Um, would have been good for our old show. Rest in peace to Midweek Man. <laughs> um, in the ashes, waiting to be reborn. <laughs> like a phoenix. <laughs> Just in time for Fast 10. <laughs> I think we talked if you about don't- that. If you don't think we're getting together to do a Fast 10 episode, just for the sake of continuing the legacy, you're uh-huh. out of your mind. 100%. We have to. It's a family affair. Blake, you're coming on to do- No, Blake wasn't in any of the Fast and the Furious episodes of Fuck That's Blake. right. Fast yeah, that's- 10 is just the two of us. <laughs> You heard it here first, people. Fuck Blake. Yeah. <laughs> Over Josh, if you want to do a Fast 10 episode. Well, listen. Hold on. Hold on, Chris. Slow down. Because unlike Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Vin Diesel, we can overcome petty differences. And we can uh, we can have one of the classic ca- uh, cast members come back for the finale. You know? Mm, it's true. Mm-hmm. Speaking of classic cast members, <laughs> I've also been playing Ice Age Scratch Nutty Adventure. I mean, um, to be fair, that is a classic cast member. It, he is a classic cast member who, after all of this time, finally got a nut. He finally got that nut. I'm so proud finally of my boy. Golf nut. clap. All right, um, Scott, yeah. you're doing well. That, that, I'm is that a be, PS3 game? No, it's a PS4, PS5 game. It's fully native <laughs> PS5 game. <laughs> it looks like I didn't shit. even know this existed. <laughs> Dude, I only found it because I was going through like the PS Plus Essential or whatever. And then I saw it and I'm like, huh, wonder. And then I look at the trophy guide and it's like a seven hour platinum. And I'm like, yeah, that would be funny. <laughs> so then I just decided to start playing it. So I'm like halfway through Scratch Nutty Adventure. It sucks. Bro, is this, is this like one of the classic movie tie in games? Oh, yeah. It's classically bad too. But. Oh, and it's made by Just Add Water, or is it published? No, it's published. made by Just Add Water. Is it made by them? I thought it was published by them. Yeah, it's uh, uh, graphically ugly, art style ugly, um, gameplay is brutal. But I think it's funny to get the Platinum, so I'll get it, and we'll move on. All right. Fun. What have you been playing, Brett? Uh, man, my list is long and very Varied. <laughs> Very varied. Uh, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Uh, Nighting, Nighting Plus, like Nighting, but with the G just missing. Uh, so Nighting Plus is like, you know, I love Zelda likes. 
It's mm-hmm. a Zelda-like without an overworld. It's just dungeon, 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 dungeon. <laughs> yeah, I've played that one. It's pretty good. Super fun, bopping-ass soundtrack. Through line on Vita games that do not have voiceovers, all of them have bopping-ass soundtracks. I want everyone to know that. So, um, well, also true because Distraint is the next game I played, a, a game I've had on my Vita since Josh Shoop sent me the code like three years ago. And I'm here to say... It was wonderful. It's a simple, you know, adventure game that you move through. And it's about this guy who basically has to go through and repossess land from people and the emotional and spiritual toll that takes on him as an individual. I don't want to say too much more than that. I think it's a great game and I think you should play it. Is this just like colonial papers, please? That's what it sounds like. Dude, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's like modern day. So I don't want to say too much, but the game opens with you going to an old lady's apartment to tell her that she's out of time. Oh shit! That that you don't that you can't wait any longer, and so you kick her out of her house. Uh, I don't want to say too much more than that, but it's a very dark story, and it does not pull punches. The ending is also pretty dark, and it's it resolves in a cool way. That's a nod. Um, I don't again. I don't want to say too much. It's a cheap game. Uh, apparently, there's a distraint too, and I am interested in playing it. Uh, it's not on Vita. Play it. It is good. It is one of the far more often than not good Rattalaika games. Uh, as Chris and I have continued to champion, Rattalaika gets a bad rep because of the trophy conversation. If you remove trophies from the conversation, you get a lot of good to pushing the boundary of great at a very light budget ports of games yeah, from PC. I would put these on the level of if they were more expensive, they would get progressively worse as the dollar price increases sure but for nine bucks which you can usually get for a dollar like there's really nothing bad to say about them yeah 100 i mean i genuinely like this strength and it had a lot of interesting gameplay design elements within it that i did not expect from the type of game that it was and it was also quite long and in contrast to the normal ride of like a conversation you did de- you have to completely beat the game to get the platinum and then some oh okay same with Night and Plus. You have to beat the whole game to do it. You do have to Next game Nine. that you also have to beat and extra things. Right like a game. I am the hero. And dude, it is awesome. I have never been big on beat-em-ups. I've played them here and there, but never stuck with one. This one has this really cool like perspective shift where it's like you're always running kind of at an upward angle to the right side of the screen. Mm-hmm. So you're on the left side of the screen, you're smaller. When you're on the right side of the screen, you're larger. Um, great soundtrack. Combo system, it's kind of like a fighting game. Um, and you can unlock different characters, and the characters that you can choose to unlock are just the NPCs that you fight against in the game. Uh, or you can learn new skills uh, that are called EX skills. Okay. And it was great. Banging soundtrack. Of course, the story is just ridiculous. The the trappings that you end up learning, and I don't really wouldn't consider this a spoil, spoiler. The trappings that you learn is that it's just a kid playing with toys, and he's setting up all these ridiculous scenarios. It's basically the Lego movie. <laughs> okay, I like that. As a video game. Um, then, of course, I came back to the fantastic, wonderful The Wolf Among Us. Got mm. the platinum again. Sublime. Mwah. Mwah. There is so much pressure riding on the Wolf Among Us 2 for me. Yeah. <laughs> that if they do not fucking nail that game, I am going to never buy a Telltale game again. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, man. Uh, next game is an interesting one. Legend of the Skyfish. Another Rattalaika game. 
do you remember my pitch about somebody who kind of uses a fishing rod? It's not that, but it gets close enough that I don't care. Yes. Uh, I, you know, I had that thing where I thought it would be cool to have an RPG where like a character uses like a, a fishing rod as a bow and arrow and shoots it and then pulls people to them. And this game is not that, but you do use a fishing rod to attack. It doesn't like you don't cast it or anything, Uh, though. You can cast it to grab onto things and basically act as like a, a grapple hook pull from a top down perspective. Uh, And then you can also use it to like hit enemies and like knock them out for a second so that you can get closer to them and kill them. Um, The game goes just a little too long with its ideas without, advancing enough at the end that it kind of got a little worse right at the end, but very fun. Another game that you have to beat all the way through. Um, basically just like a puzzle game where you go through level segments where you have to try and figure things out to get to a statue and break it so that you can get rid of the skyfish who's fucking everyone's life up. Fuck that skyfish, man. Just ignore them. Another game that's been on my Vita for three, four years. Finally got around to playing it. Wild fucking game. Stupid as shit in some ways, in all honesty. The the, mm-hmm. the the common thing between Rattalaika games is they're usually made by people where the translation makes the games feel a little more simple than I think they're intended to be. I could also I be wrong. That. Maybe they just are that simple. Still, wild game, and I quite liked it. Uh, you have to beat it all the way through and do some extra stuff to get that platinum. Tearaway, the fantastic, phenomenal... Um, Media Molecule game. And a really good point for Media Molecule having the ability to really knock it out of the park from a design and gameplay standpoint. But a good example of how, even though they can do that, that game did not really sell well on on Vita or the PS4 reimagining. So while it shows Mm -hmm. that they have the guts, it still needs to make a certain amount of money because we've seen Sony get far more strict with what they consider successful. Uh, Last few Task Force Campus banging soundtrack. Yeah. Oh my God, banging soundtrack. Also, harder than I thought it would be. Yep. Fuck the the GGCCC. Yep. <laughs> um, but very fun. Yeah. And the character that you unlocked at Secret was interesting with the side shots. Had a good time with that. I don't think mm. I'm done with it actually. It's the only game I've gotten a platinum in recently where I didn't immediately delete it. I think I may play more of it. Um, Swordbreaker is what I'm on right now. Choose your own adventure. Literally, it's just still frames and you scroll down and there's numbers that correlate to actions. You hit them on the screen and you continue to see other actions. It's fucking crazy. Freddy Krueger's in the game, but his name is Fred Crooker. (laughs) 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 The the Silent Hill nurses are in there, but it's just zombie nurses. Um, There's like a Where's Waldo Pinocchio um, amalgamation. It's a wild game. And it, it's just, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. The thing that made me laugh is like three three decisions in, there's a, a ghost that's naked covering her boobs with her arm. And my and the text is my guy being like, damn, she's got a nice ass. And then it's like, what do you want to do? Ask her who owns the, the castle. Uh, ask her to take you to the library. Three, smack her ass. <laughs> and I haven't smacked her ass yet, but I clearly have to do it because I have to know what happens in that permutation of the story. Yeah, I'd very much like an update next week, please. I will give you one probably as soon as we get done with this. I will start (laughs) a new campaign specifically to go smack her ass. Uh, 
right. It's like I said, three decisions in, and I can change my entire life with this one decision. That's <laughs> <laughs> huge. <clears throat> okay, Chris, the big final one. I played about four hours of Redfall with oh my buddy Donovan. And uh, it's not that bad. It's, it's pretty fun in co-op. <laughs> it clearly has things that I wish were different, but I think a lot of that comes from me wishing it were just a single-player arcane game because I love arcane games. But mm-hmm. it keeps the good of arcane games intact. Uh, for the most part, I haven't had any grossly crazy bugs for the most part in that four hours. We had one where we came up to a character that's an NPC and she was there and a T pose version of her was directly side beside her floating in the air, um, which was funny. And then right before we got off for some reason, I don't know what hit us, but the start button stopped working and the crouch slash slide button stopped working. Like when you hit them, it just go thunk, thunk, <laughs> like a little weird noise. Um, but other than that, perfectly fine, solid game, fun to play with other people. Only played it in co-op. I don't have much to say outside of that in particular. Uh, but there was a part where we were going into like this parking or it's like a warehouse. And we ended up separating. And his character has this like translocation thing where he can throw this device and then teleport to it. And what's cool is if I'm around him, it leaves behind for just a few seconds a little portal that I can hit and travel up with him but i decided to go in from the bottom and he decided to go up on the roof kill the crap up there and then break into a sunlight and so my important thing to say there is my favorite thing of arcane games is always the decision to approach things however you see fit and this game keeps that in spirit and i love that okay but it's a it's a perfectly serviceable game like the 6.5 out of 10 7 if you had if you force me to put a number that's not a ridiculous number but let me tell you this much for a game i didn't pay anything for and played 4 hours of i had a good time like once i adjusted to 30 frames per second it's fine i wish it was 60 frames per second but it's fine yeah i downloaded that on pc i'm like debating if i want to give it a shot Apparently, the PC port is uh, much more problematic than the Series X one. Oh, good. So, do with that what you will. Great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, that's it. That's a catch up there. Chris, do you think that we go ahead and move into the community stake from here, good sir? Yes. I would like to say, impressive work having Sly 2 be your 10,000th trophy. I don't know if you noticed that. Wait, was it my 10,000th trophy as the platinum? Yep. Bruh, that was complete accident. Yeah, I just I was looking at your PSN profiles page, and I see that, yeah, unlikely bandit 10,000th trophy. So congratulations dude. on 10,000 trophies, Brett. <clears throat> well, thanks, dude. Of course. That's like really good luck, because yeah. I made sure that slide two was by 160. Yeah, that's all yeah. I was trying to go for was just plat 160, and then I wanted Tearaway to be 165, and I'm trying to, or sorry, I wanted Wolf Among Us to be 165, and then Tearaway 170. Nice. Right now, I'm just trying to figure out what I want 175 to be, so I can Signal continue it's... to have maybe, maybe. But I did buy, it. I did buy <clears throat> Star Wars Jedi Survivor 
from my friend. I wasn't going to buy it because of the, we've had this conversation, but for anyone else, you know, I was debating buying it because I don't know if I want to support EA right now. Of course, the game having performance issues and stuff doesn't necessarily make that a hard decision to make. Uh, but my friend hit me up out of the blue and goes, hey, have you bought Jedi Survivor yet? I said, no. He's like, well, you don't buy my copy because they're only going to give me like 20 bucks for it. So I'll just sell it to you for like 30 And so the part of me was like, I don't want to buy it new so I can just buy it secondhand. Awesome. And that's like $40 off of the game's price. There you go. I'd be a fool not to do it. So Chris and I are going to game share the old-fashioned way. <laughs> I'm going to beat this bad boy to a bloody pulp, and then I'm going to mail Chris this game, Sands the Delicious Blueberry Yogurt Pretzels, which we will have a moment of silence for. R.I.P. We miss you Buckies, every time. what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> if anyone is listening who works at Bug- Bucky's Corporate, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you they're going to make rib this shit. I'm I'm telling you they're going to be like let him be gone for a while. It's going to build that want, that hunger deep inside. <laughs> and then we're going to announce that they're back and people are going to start traveling to Bucky's for no fucking reason other than to get those and it fucking sales are going to go through the roof. It's going to be like the stonks guy just <laughs> breaking around the side of the building. It's crazy. Yeah. Stonks. Profit. <laughs> They're going to make a stonks guy, but it's going to be the, the Bucky Beaver. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it'll it'll work. Uh, but, yeah, so maybe it'll be that. Maybe it won't be that. I don't know what my 175 will be. But uh, I realize I don't think I've ever earned more Platinums in a year than this year. No, this I'm is pretty impressive. 38. Yeah, this is an impressive year for you so far. Oh, got so much more in me, though, you know? Yeah, it's only a quarter of the way through. See, I'm just playing, you know, playing some harder games. That's all it is. I'm just playing harder <laughs> games. I'm That's just fucking playing insult. Vita. That's not even an insult. But I'm like, listen, I've been playing Resident Evil I don't take it as one. But I've been having more fun. Like, literally, my coworker who normally asks me for, like, what new games are coming out, I was like, hey, what have you been playing lately? And I was like, not a good time to ask me because <laughs> I have been playing exclusively Vita for at least six weeks, if not longer. Crazy And person. all old games. <laughs> so I was like, don't, don't ask me shit because I don't know what to tell you. Um, Damn, I might get the uh, MLB Platinum on PS4, too. <laughs> Look at you. You it's can 3, pull this off. I, I might as well. I'm fucking playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> Just do it with worse performance. You got this. I believe in you. Yay. And then get the 1,000 on Xbox. You got this. Ugh, no. I mean, yay. <laughs> All right. Look. Community's take. Here we are. Uh, this one, of course, comes uh, from our patron, Rude Days 93 And if you are not familiar, the community's take is where we, at the end of a previous episode, will kind of look at something either within that episode or something we come up with, which offers a chance for you guys to essentially give us pushback on something throughout the episode where we ask your opinion on something we talked about so we can get some differing opinions, give you a chance to push back and maybe open our minds to something that we hadn't thought of or view it in a way we hadn't thought of. Uh, and this week's was more of a fun one. So this one came uh, again from rude days, 93. He went over like all good people do to our Twitter at triangle SQRD, our discord, which you can get to in the link in the description below, whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on podcast services uh, or going over to Facebook and he asked this question to us. So what would you 
what would be your preferred way of playing DLC? Would you want to play it like a Horizon Burning Shores and have it after you complete the base game? Or the more traditional way of being able to jump in at any point in the base game? Or do you find you make it back to games for DLC at all? Um, so with that in mind, we had a number of people come in. Anytime that we get one from a patron, we like to give their answer first. So RudeDays93 comes in. He says, probably be the more traditional way just because if it's at the end of the game then that probably means it's a part of the story that i need to experience and it's tough for me sometimes to go back and play dlc if it's a game i beat almost a year ago which is exactly the case with forbidden west which is kind of what sprung this conversation up about dlc um you know chris we've talked a lot about dlc in the past few weeks i mean I think that the common story thing or the common thread I see from most people is that even people who like DLC seem to have an issue going back to a game months to a year after you've gotten into it. I mean, kind of gotten through with it. Yeah. I mean, that's so long you've moved on by then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's just, it's too long. I mean, people don't like hearing, well, the DLC was being developed in tandem with the game. I get that but we might get more play out of DLC if it came out quicker, but it would require the DLC to be in development earlier than it is now, you'd imagine. So yeah, it's a give so and take. In terms of a timeline, what do you think would be the ideal timeline where people, it's far enough from the base game that people are kind of missing that again, but not so far out that it feels like a big commitment to try and come back to a game. Like when would like for you at least, what's your magic kind of window you think would work? Month. A month, really? Yeah. Cause I don't think you want to get people who are hankering to come back. You want to get me <clears throat> I've spent fifty hours with Horizon this month. I just finished the game. Oh shit, here's Burning Shores. Not I've just finished Horizon six months ago. I played God of War, Octopath, Call of Duty, Apex, Multiverses, Mortal Kombat 11, Dead to Rights Retribution, Alan Wake. Oh, Burning Shores is here. You know, you're not... You're right, but I also think that kind of exists. And it's a hard lens to not look through because of the way that we tend to play games, even though I've completely betrayed that this year. Um but I think you're looking at that from like a core gamer standpoint. So I see for you, it makes sense, right? You you want to do it while it's still kind of freshly with you. But that mindset kind of views it as if every single person is buying the game in the launch month. You get what I'm saying? Sure. But <laughs> so, but I, I'm assuming the flip side of it for you is that the DLC is still there even for the people that buy the game six yeah. months down the road, a year down the road. Like I'm at a point with Octopath Traveler 2 where if there was DLC for three more travelers, I would buy it. If mm-hmm. the DLC comes out in a year after I'm done with it, I'm not buying it. And I don't I don't think that's really a core gamer thing. I think that's anyone. Anyone who moves on from a game is not coming back. You're gonna get people right now who buy burning shores because they just played horizon for the first time. That's fine. But I don't think the, I don't, I just don't think that's the wider audience of people playing burning shores. I think that game sold most of its copies on launch and people are trickling back in for burning shores, but I think it would be more successful as a whole coming out a month, month and a half afterwards. Like if you finish that, took a small break and then you hopped right back in the Mm -hmm. story's fresher in your mind. There you go. It's right there. I just wrapped this up. 
pop my platinum. Let's go back into the DLC. But too much farther than that, I feel like you're you're missing people. And then I wonder what the value, like, you know, of course it's to make money with by mostly reusing assets. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. cutting down development costs by being able to make new content on what is essentially the same stage mm-hmm. and setup as the game that you just came off of. But with that in mind, uh, two games, of course, come to mind. Yeah, so you have a game like Forbidden West, which is a year after. Then you have a game with more like Miles Morales, which is about two years after. Um where you look and you go, okay, so is the value of the DLC also to find ways to release content to keep the IP fresh in people's minds in between the bigger releases? And if so, is Burning Shores really the better setup? Or is a game that is more standalone and has its own platinum and its own feel and a little bit of its own buzz around marketing, is that more valuable? I wonder, because I mean, in all Honesty, I, I find it hard to not really want to call Miles Morales glorified DLC. And I mean that with zero hate. <laughs> like, not not stench to it at all. But I was far more driven to play that because I, I guess it didn't feel like having to go back to another game. It just felt yeah. like playing a smaller experience from a series that I'm already familiar with. Right. I mean, I get that. And I don't disagree with it. I would <laughs> per- always prefer First Light or Miles Morales. But... If you're going to do something like Burning Shores, just put it on. I would do it a month later, personally. I know that's not possible or feasible 90% of the time, but <laughs> sure, it's still, I think, I was the thinking ideal. like three to six months felt like. But then you have the flip side, so right, long. where you have Cyberpunk, right, where we're just getting Cyberpunk DLC this year, and Cyberpunk came out in 20, you know, yeah. late 20, 21. Uh, so, I mean, a year is better than two years and some odd months. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? But I'd be willing to bet because that Cyberpunk DLC got delayed because the game was so fucked. So you're right. Maybe it's yeah. a year later. And you yeah. know, again, it all depends on the size of the DLC. I don't I don't know how big Burning Shores is, but like for a perspective, like the the Mass Effect three or Citadel DLC should have been yeah. there a month later. I don't remember if it was or not from all the way back then, but that's the best example of something that I'm thinking about. Like, here it is, a month later, play that. Sure. You know, I wonder, this is a little bit of an aside, but I almost wonder if the DLC for Cyberpunk benefited, not from a com- consumer standpoint, but I wonder if it benefited from a development standpoint or design standpoint or anything because of having to be pushed back because of Cyberpunk's problems to begin with. It's a curiosity. Yeah. I'm- but, you know, let's see what uh, a one-armed wolf has to say. Uh, so he's one of our patrons. He says, it depends game to game for me. Some games like the Fallout, Skyrim, or Borderlands series, I will play the first couple and then inevitably fall off. Others, like Spider-Man, I jump into as soon as I can. Then there are others like Horizons, well, Horizon where I couldn't be bothered to play the DLC. And that always comes into, like, you know, Spider-Man's were, were pretty quick. Um, the City That Never Sleeps DLC and whatnot that they did. And I didn't play them, even though I got the collector's edition that came with them. I just gave the codes to somebody. Um, 
but yeah, it's mm. uh, is that just general <clears throat> enjoyment of the series, or is it also because Spider Man is a significantly smaller scaled game than Horizon and some of these other games? I'm curious. Um, Fallout, Skyrim, Borderlands, all those ones that have multiple DLCs, I have a hard time sticking with that too. Like I always loved Oblivion's was realistically you had Knights of the Nine, but I guess because I was playing on PlayStation, that was included on the PlayStation disc by the time that it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't pay anything for it. It was already on the disc. I did it. I did the content, and then you have the Shivering Isles. So it yeah. felt like one big DLC instead of multiple. Uh, I've I've played none of the Skyrim DLC besides <laughs> visiting uh, Solstheim or whatever. Yeah. Um, for the dagger at Falls the beginning stuff. of of Dragon uh, Dragonborn. Was that what is that what the DLC was called? I think, I think so. it is. <laughs> so. um, just quick because I was curious. So yes, the Cyberpunk DLC is coming out three years later, but it is coming out less about a year after the PS5 version. No, ah, yeah. So yeah, you know, just saying. <laughs> well, you know what? That's fine. Uh, Jehudi MD, one of our patrons, and. In case you haven't realized, our patrons tend to get preferred reading uh, on any of the stuff we're doing, just because we like to hear from them. We like to we like that they support us, so we like to give them a voice in the show a little bit more. So if you want to join them, head over to patreon.com slash nartech. Give as little as a dollar per month. It helps to support the show. If you can't, you just enjoy listening. We perfectly understand. It's cool. We appreciate that you're here. Let's keep having a show. Uh, Jehudi says, I personally stopped playing any DLC in the PS4 generation because I felt like I needed to move on to a different game by the end. The only game I went back to play a DLC immediately was Bloodborne because the gameplay loop is awesome and I felt the need to play more of it. Otherwise, it's going to be rare that I would play any DLC unless I get to a game and buy it as a whole as part of a pack or something. And he kind of strikes on where I've always been, which is it's a lot easier to do it when you buy it and the game is all right there and you're playing it kind of like what you talked about, Chris, like you're already in it and you're thinking, man, I'm loving dishonored. Can't wait to see mm-hmm. what the knife of Dunwall is about. And the witch is a brig. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you yep. keep, it's easier to keep going when the momentum's there. Um, but I like what he said and I am going to extrapolate a little bit here, Jehudi, but I assume part of this is of course, Life and what's going on around life changes to some degree. But also the PS4 generation is where you started seeing games get bloated and bigger because of the Order 1886 effect, where you're so terrified of having a game that is perceived as too short or too shallow. So the only way to combat that is to make every game 20 plus hours. And I think that that makes DLC a harder sell because as you bloat these games out, and I'm not saying that they're all done poorly, but as you push them and push them and push them, by the time that you reach the end of one, you feel like I've had about as much of this gameplay as I can honestly enjoy until the next one. And that'll be, at this point, five or six years down the line. Would you agree with that, Chris? Or do you think that that, I mean, does that bother? That's clearly a, you know, particular to me and a few other people, but would you say that you've had that effect to some degree or is it just DLC in general for you as hit or miss? It's just DLC in general is hit or miss. I tend that if I'm going to play DLC, it it's on the disc. I think for the most part, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So you could catch me, you know, Fallout three game of the year edition. I'm probably playing all those, all those DLCs. <laughs> But I might be I might be skipping or I don't even know if skipping is the right word, but let's go with forgetting 
that the DLC came out by the time I'm done with one or two if I'm playing them in a row. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think that's fair. And also just the weight. I mean, the moment you start to break off of something, you kind of start going, okay, there's something else that's grabbing my attention. I don't mm-hmm. know if I want to go back to the game I let go of finally. Exactly. That's okay. Now, let's see. Sweet Grand Turismo Jones comes in. He says, I don't have a preferred DLC method. Depends on the game as to what I would want from it. I've enjoyed standalones, expansions, added items, although I don't like items that make the game, quote, easier, like special weapons or cars. So that kind of ties into the uh, Resident Evil thing that we were talking about. <laughs> Though yeah. at least it's uh, it's something you can get without buying DLC. So. Yeah, yeah, fair point. I, you know, I, it, I like that he's looking at DLC from a little bit of a broader method because I know that I tend to use the word DLC. And even though DLC literally means all downloadable content, I tend to view it in my head as big story expansions. But really the word that you're looking for there is do you play expansions? <laughs> yeah. So... It's a different ball game. Uh, we got our last one here that comes from uh, one of our longtime listeners, longtime patrons, Rude Cold. Hope you're doing well, buddy. He says, I'll only play story content DLC, and I don't mind if it's accessible anytime or after completion. I don't like it if it's released way later, and then you have to start a new game after completing it to access its mid-game, uh, to, to access it mid-game, kind of like Bloodborne did, I think. And that does sound right, correct. Uh, I get it if people don't like the DLC, continues after the base game and adds new story as not everyone wants to go back to a game or still has the game and then they will miss out on the game's full story at least you can now watch it instead on a youtube walkthrough but it's not the same as playing it Uh, i wonder how much youtube has hurt dlc because for people that are just like well the story applications i can just figure those out wait (laughs) yeah i mean kingdom hearts melody of memory i had no drive to play that because it's not the type of game I wanted. But I'm like, I sure as hell want to know what's happening in the story because, of course, in the rhythm game, they're going to put story <laughs> information because it's Kingdom <laughs> Hearts. Take a look at yourself, you dumb slut. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is, I just went to YouTube and I just watched all the story, like the the cutscenes because I'm like, yeah, I don't give a shit about playing. I mean, don't wrong. Kingdom Hearts has got a bopping ass soundtrack. I just don't feel like playing them even though it looked like a kind of novel take on that idea. but um, So, all right. Well, Chris, do you have anything you want to add to any of the uh, community take answers there? Nope. I think I've given my take for the most part. Well, with your take all wrapped up and cozy, we have a question that comes from Matt Green, one of our patrons. He says, talking about DLCs, what DLC did you think was crap and didn't add to the game at all? I think I'm going to have to field this to you because I've played so little DLC that I don't know if I can think of one that I think was just dog shit. Yeah, I really can't think of anything. For me, it's mostly like practices. Like the Asura's Wrath DLC is dog shit because it gives you the ending that you have to pay for. But I don't think the DLC itself was bad. So take it for how you will. You know, I almost wonder if the flip of this is is a... also a good question to ask because you know we were talking about playing two worlds too and maybe if your schedule is actually different we can finally nail that down yes um but two worlds too is a game that was ridiculed at launch 
one of the only times that I worked at GameStop and my manager told me that if anyone comes in with Two Worlds 2 and it's been opened, still take it back really? uh, and give refund. Yeah, it was a, a very interesting time. Um, I didn't think that I game was that it. bad, the little I played. Did you play it at launch? No. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. At launch. This is day one. Got it. So the game comes out super buggy. And I remember the opening cutscene is a real time cutscene. Uh, and there's a part where this guy turns and his cape just like whoop, whoop, over his head. And the whole time he's talking, the cape is just like <laughs> flipping and flagging. And he's telling you this super dramatic story. And it's like, what the fuck am I doing here? But that is a game that for some crazy reason was able to continue and get DLCs. And the most recent DLC for that game, mind you, I was working at GameStop when Two Worlds 2 came out. So was it probably two is like 2010 or 11 probably? Let mm-hmm. me find out real quick. 2010, November 12, 2010. Um, all right. The last DLC for that game came out in like 2018, 17. Oh, sorry. The second of the two newly announced DLCs was released on December 6th, 2019. God so damn. this is a game that arguably DLC completely turned around. Am I reading, am I listening, hearing that correctly, that there's another DLC in the works? No, it sounds like they announced two at once and the second of those two came out in December of 2019. Still, impressive for a game that was ridiculed at launch almost 10 years prior. Okay, hell yeah. Dude, we should totally play. Which we're going to play the PS3 version of Two Worlds 2, which might still be shit. <laughs> because that DLC is not on that game. No. We'll call Dude, it, uh, if, if it is, that would be amazing. If the PS3 version got that DLC, bro, I'm pretty sure it's PC only. It might be, yeah. Uh, we're going to be playing easily the worst version of the game. I'm still okay with it. I've been curious because I played like an hour of it and it was just so buggy and dog crap that I, you know, as a young kid who didn't want to have that be what I wasted my money on, I just took it back. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris. Um, yeah, so the only DLC I can think of is like in the literal sense, the the joking Oblivion Horse Armor DLC. Like what did that really add to the game for $7? I don't know. I think history has proven that the horse armor is not that bad of a DLC. Oh, well, then what DLC was so much worse? Osiris Wrath and fucking 2008 Prince of Persia endings being DLC Yeah, I think that's objectively the worst type of DLC. At the time, I can see the horse armor being something you'd call the worst DLC. But again, you're talking 2006. Yeah. Yes, DLC is pretty new. For consoles. At the I'm just saying, my stimulus check went to Apex. Some of my stimulus legends bought me an Apex Legends cosmetic for $200. So, Man, uh, that makes my taxpayer bills proud. Hey, um, listen, don't blame me. <laughs> I know you didn't make that decision. I was an essential worker, I don't blame worker, you because it wasn't... <laughs> no, that goes through my long-running thing of being surprised at how many people don't understand how stimulus packages usually work. Mm -hmm. I had to describe to a few people, like they didn't just reallocate our tax funds. This is a specifically American conversation real quick, but that's okay. Uh, People were like, well, I don't get why stimulus checks a problem. We should get another one. And I was like, no, 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 no. 
because they didn't reallocate funds. They just said, we're going to print more money and then give you some of that money. I was like, what happens when you have more of something? The value of it goes down. So I was like, they printed more money, which makes us feel good in the immediate, but in the long term, it hurts us because the value of the dollar drops as a result. Mm-hmm. Enjoy, enjoy your like, $87 eggs. <laughs> hey, have chicken wings gone back down in the industry yet? Yes. Yeah. Nice. Starting to go back down. So now that we're done with community's take. Yes. I had something I wanted to bring up as something I found funny, right? So we played a lot of Destiny. And I've, I've definitely sure. had this conversation with you where I was telling you how I don't understand how people run the same things over and over again just to get a better roll on a gun. Right? We've and had that conversation. You've been doing. <laughs> so I was playing I Will Be the Show. And. <laughs> I was doing a moment, and a moment is when you have to do a specific thing, like hit a home run, five strikeouts. And I'm playing, and I, I'm in party chat with Sean, and I go, holy shit. I am just doing the same thing over and over again to get a better roll on my fucking right fielder. This is insane that I'm just doing the same shit that I make fun of people for doing in Destiny. Never realized it until I did that. Because I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So it took me like an hour, and it was like twenty times of me doing it. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just re-rolling my right fielder over and over again. This is stupid. <laughs> You're min-maxing. Yeah, you've reached. MLB is now an RPG. We talked about how Castlevania is De- and Destiny are essentially the same game a yeah, while back. Right? It's true. They are the same. And Dead Rising yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> But I just thought that I had that realization. I thought it was funny, and I I wanted to bring it up on the show. Glad I remembered. (laughs) Dude, that's brilliant. Quick, quick. You know, I mean, I guess we could save this for later. And, and, you know, we talk about how we don't purposely. We're not not bringing anything up anytime we do bring Xbox up. We're not bringing them up to talk down on them. I have an Xbox. I play it. on. I know that sounds like the age old. I can't not like something. I have it. I really do like Xbox. I just don't play it that much. You know what I mean? I know, mm-hmm. Chris. <laughs> yeah. Um, so point being, <laughs> point being, I feel like at some point in this episode, we need to acknowledge that <clears throat> what we've been saying for a while, and more importantly that you brought to the table, and while I agreed, you brought the conversation to the thing, is that Phil Spencer almost verbatim said exactly mm-hmm. what we've been saying for like a year and a half or two years on this podcast now, that last generation was the wrong generation to lose because it's when everyone built up their digital library, and by Xbox pushing backward compatibility as something that was needed... It means that there's more reason now that Sony has bent the knee and gave us backwards compatibility for you to not ditch the system that you've been building this library up on and instead stick with them. And Mm -hmm. he said basically exactly that. Yeah. (laughs) He didn't say backwards compatibility, but he hinted strongly at it by by saying last gen, everyone built up their library and want to keep it. Yeah. I've never been more vindicated in my entire fucking life. Yeah. Never. So, I saw that come through and I'm like, I'm God. He listens to me. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting part is I've never doubted that that's exactly what the reason is and that they know that. Yeah. What I did doubt is that they would ever publicly say it. Yeah. Like we shot which, ourselves in the foot. Which brings me to the second point. That interview was way more candid than I ever anticipated it was too candid i think it it was both 
I have huge respect for him coming out and doing it and just kind of being real about it and that he was in a funky mood. And I don't mean this in any kind of big conspiracy theory way, but there is that small party that's like, is he playing the PR game? Is he knowing that if he comes off and says a bunch of stuff here and he's real open that the PR for it is going to be so good for him because he comes off as relatable and oh, yeah. he's just playing the long game and winning? And I, the reality is it's probably a bit of both. Like he actually did feel all those things, but the actual PR benefits of it are also very good. Um, <laughs> I mean, we don't have to dive into the whole talk. But there was yeah. a few interesting points that I think were worth noting. So one of them being that they lost the wrong, the, the wrong generation and that it's going to be really hard to come back. Second being that he mentioned that Xbox is through trying to just be green PlayStation. <laughs> um, interesting. And then third, that he claims potentially correctly, potentially incorrectly, who knows, that there is no amount of great games that they can put out that is suddenly going to turn the tide in terms of console share. Um, All of those things coming out. Chris, I mean, did you have any big takeaways from that interview? Yeah, I'm a god, and Phil Spencer listens to me. (laughs) No, 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 Chris. You're a god who tripped over. (laughs) Oh, that's a deep cut. That is a deep cut. Uh, Okay, go ahead. So, so my um, real point was fucking Norman Bates shit. God damn it. Anyway, go ahead. My real point would have been that if, um, fuck, I don't understand why he would have said that. Yeah. Any of it, really. Like, especially talking about, oh, um, I did, you know, great games won't change the console landscape. The logic of it. And I don't understand how you say that. Even if it's true, which it's not, I don't understand how why you would even say it. Because that just feels like a white flag being thrown up. That feels like him saying to me, yeah, Redfall is an indicator of what we can do, which is not the case. I don't think. Right. Like, I, mean, I, I don't agree. think is their highest level of co- of quality. But when you no, say that after Redfall, no. it feels like you're pushing yourself towards that being your baseline. And that can't be your baseline. Your baseline has got to be something better. Your baseline has got to be Forza or even something like grounded or even Pentiment. That's got to be the first party baseline. Now, when we're going to go through the Sony studios and maybe there's a possibility that we see something in there that's like, okay, this, this might fail. And if they're doing all these games, something might be bad, whether it's a first party game or something like Forspoken. Not getting into that conversation, but you know what I mean when I bring that game up. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, no, no, Forspoken and Redfall are really great analogs for each other yeah. for each platform hole of this generation. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, there will be failures like that. Maybe Silent Hill 2 by Bloober Team could very much be a Sony game a Sony game that's being pushed by Sony for all we know exclusively forever, right? And that could that could fall flat on its face. Yeah. But I think when you look at something like that from Sony you go, this is an outlier, right? I have God of War, Horizon, Killzone, Days Gone, all of these games that are telling me that Sony makes quality games. 
and then they stumbled on Silent Hill. Whereas you look at Xbox and you look at Redfall and you look at the lack of output and you realize that the only games that they've made in the past couple of years that are good outside of their staples of Forza are small games that are Game Pass filler. And that's not to insult Pentiment or Hi-Fi Rush. I think both of those games are great. But you're not putting Pentiment in a trailer for your console. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I think the point there, and it's it's kind of the conversation when Redfall was reviewing before I could even play it, right? We were having it, and we were talking about the the way that games like Forspoken and Redfall end up impacting things is that uh, PlayStation has the perfect out. PlayStation goes, look, we thought that the game was interesting and we saw an opportunity for us to partner with a game, but that's not our first party thing. We were just, you know, we partnered with a game. It was a miss in what we normally have as what we expect to be PlayStation quality, but it wasn't made internally. The problem that Microsoft faces is that Redfall is at this point in time, regardless of whether it was developed with that in mind, it is a first-party game. And it is, as you said, one of your first AAA first party games in a long time um and so it acts as a stage setter and it's not that we think every xbox game will be will be received this way because i don't even hate the game surprisingly um at least yet who knows a little more hours could come to a point where i just fall off of it like i have borderlands two and three and other stuff but point being it acts as a beacon, and right now when you've had output that's been low besides your typical staple of Forza, and honestly at this point it's even been a while since a Gears game, so you know, it used to be the, the long-running joke of uh, Halo, I mean, Microsoft and Xbox are just Halo, Forza, and Gears. Um, right now, what we have on the AAA scale of things is the most recent Halo, the most recent Forza, and we get this, which should have been, hey, this is one of the times we're going AAA and that not being it. And it just missed. Uh, And the expectation is, hey, it's first party. It's got to be a certain level. It's really interesting to see. But, you know, one thing I kind of want to key in on, um, what do you buy of this idea? And I don't know that I inherently think he's wrong. I've been really trying to sit on this all week and see kind of what I think about it because I don't know how I feel about Phil saying that there is no matter what, basically, they're going to stay in third place. And I know that's not what his actual words were, but he essentially noted that where Xbox is at now, there's no amount of legwork they can do that will have people selling PlayStations. Therefore, they're going to stay in this thing because their console share will never change because even you'd essentially need someone to sell their PlayStation and buy an Xbox and stay there for it to be of value is what he hinted at. And that may be true. That may not be true. But the reason I bring it up is because since he said it, I think to myself, Nintendo is insanely, insanely popular and successful. And they know that a pretty sizable chunk of their audience only buy Nintendo for Nintendo exclusives. And that is Nintendo's thing. Now, there's a few different things there, right? Nintendo... Virtually never drops price. Definitely since the Switch has been crazy. As I dubbed it earlier, Nintendo's in there, can't nobody tell me nothing face. Because they've been just killing it all generation with Switch. They've not lowered the Switch prices. They've not lowered Switch game prices that are out of their first party outside of the very occasional sale where you may get $10 off. 
all that to say, Nintendo is proof that you can make a console where the primary draw is your exclusive games and you can find success with that. And then for the rest of the people that buy it and play third party on it, you get extra setup out of that. But the big difference there, Nintendo has is one of the only people it, it, it realistically in the console space that has legacy IP that go back 30 plus years. And that means they can rotate these games out and do them at a high enough quantity uh, quality consistently enough that that can be a driving factor. So Chris, do you agree that there is no world where, um, damn, what is Bethesda's upcoming game called? <laughs> You're mute. You're muted. Starfield, um, but yeah, Starfield. There, there's no world world where Starfield can come out and be an eleven out of ten, and Pent uh, and uh, Avowed can come out and be an eleven out of ten, and Perfect Dark can come out and be an eleven out of ten, and it doesn't really do anything to change Xbox's fortune, which is kind of the vibe he was giving off. Do you agree with that sentiment, or do you think that there's a way for them to Nintendo it up? Or is the problem that Nintendo occupies that space and then PlayStation occupies the other space and that leaves Microsoft in a weird in-between unless they find a way to break out into an unexplored third option? Um, it's weird because I agree and disagree, right? I think the thing is, yeah, those three games being 11s out of 10s would be huge for Xbox and it would get people over there Right, but you need to continue doing that. Right, you need to keep giving me elevens out of tens, or fuck that. You need to keep giving me nines, keep giving me eights. You know, but the problem Xbox is facing right now, in my opinion, is that the biggest games they've released have all felt like, for lack of a better term, again, indie games. Right. Hi-Fi Rush feels like an indie game. Pentiment definitely feels like a like a like an indie game. It's a high quality one, and sure. an indie game in the sense of the the genre for all about um, that. And both pretty loved games. Yeah, both great. Hi-Fi Rush is a great game. I had a lot of fun with what I played of it. But you know, so that's those are the big games they release. Those are the high scoring games they release, and then the game that they've been touting as the next one is a turd <laughs> critically a turd i'll give you that much that 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 is when people start wondering well why am i on xbox you know and then if that's that's the thing where 111 out of 10 does not make your console just like 1 6 or 5 out of 10 does not make your console but you're definitely being judged console, on that. But yeah. yeah. Doesn't break your console. But if <clears throat> yeah. if the big again, you're advertising the Xbox with Redfall. You're telling us this is the next one. And then it comes out and it's not great. People can find their own fun in it. That's totally wonderful. Sure. sure. But it's yeah. not a it's not good. Everything I've seen, everything I've I've read, all of the issues that are baked into the cake. To the point where I've heard reviewers say, stop supporting it and pretend it never existed. Level bad, which is probably the, aggressive. 
You know, but, the, the real the real challenge there is that that's the balance. I played the game and had a good time. Mm-hmm. There are issues that by supporting it, you kind of write off. It's a real it's a really hard thing to balance because I had a good time with the game, but the only genuine like baked into the game outright bad there's no way this is bugs if it's bugs then wow because a a bug should not be happening the entire time a bug should be something (laughs) that happens and it may be fairly common but it doesn't happen anytime that you're doing stealth in that game i was literally a group of six people all within three feet of each other that can see each other there's half of them are looking at each other and i can pull out my little sniper and i can snipe one of them that the other one's looking at and they don't do anything <laughs> they don't do any they, they, you know like there's the bad side of that where you shoot them and even though they shouldn't be able to see you suddenly everybody knows where you are that sucks too but you know how fucking weird it is for that to happen and then them not even go like huh huh and then try to look around it was weird yeah. now none of those problems existed when you're going all out bombastic gameplay or at least we didn't run into them we never had the the, the vampire that just does nothing um to you we had plenty of actually kind of hard challenging fights with vampires once we up the difficulty to the hardest difficulty um but we didn't have any like outright stupid ai realistically besides stealth based ai it was completely missing and as some may remember, Deathloop had a little bit of complaints about its AI because it felt a little underdeveloped. And I'll, I actually agree. I think Deathloop is a fantastic game. But the difference is in Deathloop, if you killed someone around anyone else, they reacted. They did something. You'd have like a weird thing where you might be like somebody's four foot in front of you and you kill somebody and it's kind of loud. And you're like, there should have been some kind of something. And then it, for some reason that one time they didn't. But it was the exception, not the rule. Um, and one of the things here is that they switched from the Void Engine that Dishonored 2 and Prey and Dishonor, I mean, uh, and Deathloop used to Unreal Engine 4. And I just assume that there's literally no stealth AI. That's the only assumption I can make. Um, but real quick, Chris, and then I think we want to move off. We don't stay on this forever. The last thing I want to note is something that you said where uh, being accountable, which he acts like he's doing, and you know, I, I give him, you know, the fact that he went and did it, awesome. I, re- I do respect him for it. But one of the things I had a problem with is he acted like Xbox was so hands off on it and that it was something that was in development before. And clearly we know from reports that it was in development before the purchase went through because there was a PS version at some point. But when you go on stage and you say, here I am, Microsoft, Xbox, we're ready to show you the next game from Arcane Austin, a great studio behind this game and this game, and we're so excited for it to be an Xbox exclusive, and you give it this touting, you cannot mm-hmm. then come on and say when there's problems, well, you know, we didn't really push or we didn't really push to have it leverage our uh, our console as well as it should have. We, we should have gotten teams in there uh, from our internal side to make sure that the game ran on a certain spec on our machine since it's an exclusive and we should have gotten teams like coalition and whatnot in there even earlier to make sure that it could hit 60 frames per second for launch and we came in too late and they're not going to hit i don't think those excuses work when you champion the game as soon as you possibly could Mm -hmm. it'd be a lot different if the game was announced before microsoft 
And then Microsoft were like, yeah, it's coming, it's coming. And then they were like, ah, you know, it came out with problems, but we were really hands-off because we didn't start the game, so we didn't want to mess with their process. We were just going to start that with whatever they started next. Then you might have a way out. This feels like trying to wash your hands to some degree of something that you should have had. You know, my first question is if Sony buys something, buys a studio, and they're already working on a game, I would immediately expect Sony, as they already do with third parties that aren't even connected to them, be it Callisto mm-hmm. Protocol and Stellar Blade and all these things, to go and say, hey, I, we want the PlayStation 5 version of this game to be as good as possible. So we're going to give some of our people internally to help you with your game to make sure that the PlayStation version is as good as it can be for PlayStation. They did it with Hogwarts Legacy. They did it with Callisto Protocol, a game that didn't even end up doing well. Yeah. Sony has a tendency to be like, we want to make games the best we can, even if they're not coming from us. How can right. Microsoft not do that? I would agree. Quick correction. Stellar Blade is a first party game. Um, or second part. It's an exclusive game that they own. It so, is now. I don't think that they own it. They own the they definitely own it. When did that change? When it became Stellar Blade and not Project Eve. Interesting. I mean, it may have happened. That's an interesting thing across the board. Basically, they had a huge issue, and then Sony was like, don't worry, we'll, we'll get your back and give you all the stuff you need to keep developing. And so they were like, okay, cool, we're PlayStation exclusive. That was probably part of the deal. Yeah. But, you know. Look, I think <laughs> it, I found it weird because there's a big argument online that I don't love of, well, these are not Xbox. Xbox doesn't get credit for these, right? Like people want to say High Five Rush isn't an Xbox game or whatever. Uh, Psychonauts 2, not, Xbox doesn't get to be involved in it. You know, when you get the, the console warring of the Metacritic sure. scores and stuff like that, or even sure. on big podcasts like I just listened to a couple of days ago, had this debate. And I think the thing is, once Xbox buys them, they are Xbox games. You can sit here and say, well, you know, Starfield is not really an Xbox game because they, you know, it was in development for years, whatever, fuck off. It's an Xbox game, they own it. And I think that needs to go with everything. If you're going to advertise your console off Bethesda, right? June 11th, the Xbox and Bethesda showcase is yeah. June 11th. And you, so you can't sit here in an interview after your game Happy bombed. birthday to me, man. Happy birthday to you. The second your game bombs, you don't get to go. Well, oh, we were hands off. We didn't. We didn't know. It's like no. You 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 clearly knew enough to say to end your show. Your one big thing. Your one more thing at the end of your E three press conference was Redfall. Mm-hmm. You blew it, and that you got it. That that would have been something I was more interested in hearing. It's not a big deal that the game is bad. It doesn't mean that Starfield's going to suck. It doesn't mean that Xbox has no future. It does mean that Xbox needs to step their game up. And it does prove that buying Activision, buying Bethesda, buying Sega, EA, whoever the hell you want to do does not give you good games. It's a pipeline that you have to establish and have. And when you're hearing stuff like, nobody was even taught. They didn't even have a pipeline for communication set up at Bethesda yet. And you hear stuff like that. And that's a failure on the Xbox side. And that's when I look at Phil Spencer and go, you might not know what you're doing. You might be, you might've pulled them out of a lot of things, 
but all you're doing is throwing money at a problem. You're not providing the infrastructure for the companies to take advantage of Xbox as a brand or the Xbox console. And then you go and have this interview and the main the main takeaway from my that interview was okay, if all of this is true, why are your games not coming to PlayStation? Or if you guys internally felt Redfall might be bad and you wanted to wash your hands of it, why wasn't Redfall on PlayStation? Because right, because think about it, right? If Redfall comes out on PlayStation, then it's like we didn't have any part of it. It was a game that we that was announced for PlayStation. They were building it for PlayStation. We left it alone. Arcane Arcane Austin's next game is going to be an Xbox exclusive. This is what they were working on. Clearly, it didn't meet our internal expectations. We're going to be killing it and moving on, right? You could get away with that if it was on both consoles. You can't get away with that now. You own it. You took it. You literally yeah. took it off PlayStation. So you don't get to, to wash your hands of it. You could have washed your hands of it if, if I was playing it on PS5 right now and it's just shit. Then I would be like, they got the next one. You know? Yeah. No, it's like the moment of that became obvious to me is uh, that whenever Harvey's uh, from Arcane uh, interview came out and said, and well, we said had a PlayStation it. version in and, and Xbox came in and said, uh, nope, this is an Xbox game now. The moment you did that, all of the onus of what happens with that game and why it missed its marks falls on Xbox. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you could have walked in there and went like Deathloop could have been Deathloop could have been a sack of shit. Yeah. But because of the way it was handled, that wouldn't have been on Microsoft. No one would have been like, okay, yeah, this is your fault. No. They it would have just been what it was. Ghostwire but, Tokyo could have been complete ass, and everyone mm-hmm. would just go, okay, hey, and, it, it's fine. We see what it is. But expectations change. And that is an interesting thing. Expectations around first party with a console manufacturer are much higher. Yeah. It, really, they well, just are. And we're also pretending that Sony in the PS3 era had a lot of bad exclusives. A lot of them. Sure. They were releasing one or two exclusives a month for a while, and you're not hitting on one or two exclusives a month. Sony has become synonymous with quality because they've slowed down and every game they put out is immaculate. That's why people go to PlayStation First Party and they go, I don't have to worry about this. And then maybe you get a dud. But right now, Horizon, God of War, Last of Us, Last of Us Remake, Last of Us Part 2, Last of Us Remastered, Last of Us TV Show. You know, all of these things are of top, Continue, like, Chris. Last of Us <laughs> Factions, Last of Us Factions Remastered, Last of Us Part 1 and 2 Bundle Pack. All of these. Last of Us VR. Last of Us VR, Last of Us 1 Demastered PS Vita version. I said it, that would actually be dope as that, fuck. That would be sick. <laughs> Um, a fucking an XCOM style Last of Us game. Oh, top I would, dude. I would top down that. where you have to sneak through. That'd be interesting. How about an NC Soft MMO RPG that happens to take place in the Last of Us world instead of the Horizon one? Just my personal preference. A Horizon um, game where it's basically it's Monster Hunter, yeah. <laughs> but sorry, not Horizon. A Last of Us game where it's, it's Monster Clicker Hunter. Hunter. Yeah, <laughs> I just think that if you look at the quality of what PlayStation is releasing, that's why they've become the marquee console. There, it's not because of they made a bunch of bad games and people just went, well, maybe next year, which is what Xbox well, has been doing for eight years. 
You know, one of the, regardless of how anyone feels about David Jaffe, the one thing that I think has held true and that he's really, and I remember the first time he said it, I was like, you know, that's a really good way of putting it. And I, I think it's right. And I think it's proved out over and over again in that he loves Xbox and he's, he, he loves a lot of what they're doing, but he constantly criticizes their inability to manage their product, their projects. Yeah. And I think this is a clear example of, um, you know, Phil said, go back and revisit the process and, and, and you know, reform it. Um, it's got it's got to be something bigger than that. And as you continue to buy more of these studios and more of these things, you're only amplifying the problem. If you have a hard time overseeing games for the already 20-plus studios that you own at this point, what do you think is going to happen when you suddenly add all of Activision Studios and Blizzard Studios into your wheelhouse? You have to have a way to have enough people within your internal setup at Microsoft to act as a chain of this is how development works. These are the managers. These are the people that make sure the games are mostly on time and they understand that when a game needs more time, there's a real good reason for it and that the delay is going to be worth it for X reason and for this reason. Um and you've got to set that up. And this isn't any kind of doom or gloom. I honestly hope that this game's reception is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And Phil Spencer and Xbox are really like, we have to do something. We have to come up with an internal procedure that gets us to a point where we can catch these things and either cancel games that are just not going to live up to a certain expectation or severely delay so we can restructure games that we believe in. Um, I really appreciated something he said that very, very PlayStation driven feeling, right? Of he doesn't want to interact with artistic want. He doesn't want to go to studios and tell them they can't do something. And I applaud that and I respect that. But that's still got to come with the ability to look at a game and go, it's just not going to work. Like we gave you the room to play around with it and see if it was going to work. And it's just not going to work. It's not going to work at a high enough level. Um, to where the risk is, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze. And, you know, he, he talked about if you're not willing to take risk, you don't need to be in the games industry. And I agree. I mean, we see plenty of games that are ultimately risky. Uh, and sometimes they do bad and sometimes they do good. And I appreciate that he took a risk on this game. Um, but, you know, there's a difference between – there's a difference between not – there's a difference between just completely ignoring – any kind of signs about a game and and being risk averse and and saying like okay well we have to at least make sure that after we allow creative con, you know creative control to go through that we make sure the creative design is going to be something that has a market uh, and yes. that remains to be seen because regardless of how Redfall has uh, reviewed or anything else it may well still perform well enough for it to not matter but only time can really tell that. So with that in mind, let's move along into the news. Uh, Remember, guys, if you're listening to the show, you like what we're doing here. Uh, If you're listening on a podcast service that allows you to rate us, please rate us. If it's one that allows you to review us, please review us. It lets us know what you do and don't like about the show. Gives us ideas like timestamps that we've recently started implementing so that you can find what you want to hear within the show. Um, We want to make this show as good as possible. Make sure that we set it up in a way where you can get the most you want to out of it. You can ignore things you don't necessarily have interest in. Easier to find things you do have interest in. Uh, We like getting different ideas from different people. So take a second. Let us know what you think about the show. We appreciate it. If you're listening on YouTube, throw us a comment down. Let us know 
how you feel about the show, if there's things you'd like to add, what your thoughts are on some of the topics we're talking about. We'd love to hear from you. But the first piece of news is a fun one. Game Freak is taking a break from Pokemon and has begun work on a new IP for Take-Two's private division imprint. Uh, quote, we're thrilled to have the opportunity to create a new IP that is bold and totally different from our prior work. Uh, Kota Furishima director at Game Freak said of the new project in a media release. Quote, from the beginning, Private Division were the publisher we wanted to work with on our new game. The track record and global expertise give us all the confidence to create a sweeping new action-adventure game that we can't wait to share more about in the future. Over the past three decades, you'd be hard-pressed to find a studio in which has released more iconic hits than Game Freak, of course, uh, is what Michael Warotz, head of Private Division, said. Quote, we're ready to help Game Freak unleash their potential, and we're honored to be the first Western publisher to work alongside this exceptionally talented and proven team to bring a new, bold IP to market. Project oh, Bloom, as it is, is called, is expected to launch in Take Two's fiscal year 2026. So it is a good way out. Uh, and this is all courtesy of Leah J. Williams over at Games Hub, as Chris so nicely gave credit for, as he should, uh, when we don't do the news up ourselves. So a lot at play there. Uh, it's funny hearing people just not realize that Game Freak has ever made non-Pokemon games, but they've made quite a bit of them actually <laughs> yeah timbo little town hero what was that game on 3ds drill something they, i mean they, they've made a handful a lot of them still end up being nintendo exclusive but they've made plenty of them <laughs> could you imagine a world where someone buys game freak because then nintendo doesn't own them so <laughs> nah, I, I i don't know how that would end up working out yeah. from what i understand though game freak owns part of pokemon yeah, they own they own. I, it, so it's like Nintendo it's like owns 50, part 50 of Pokemon. Thing. The Pokemon company owns parts of part of Pokemon, and Game Freak owns part of them. Yeah, so it's probably a one third of each kind of thing. So, as a kind of interesting dovetail back into the conversation we were just having, one of the most interesting things about this news piece is hearing both of the people from both sides talk about how they're going to leverage each other's expertise to make the best game they can. And this is kind of what I'm talking about when when Phil talks about letting creative you know things go through. I don't think you have to sacrifice that to also still be a benefit to a team. This is someone on one side being like, hey, this is what we see and this is how we can work these things out. And you hear from the director at Game Freak say their track record and global expertise give us all expertise, give us all the confidence to create a sweeping new action adventure game. I mean, this is clearly talking about how these relationships intertwine and how they leverage each other to make good product and i think so far private division has done a very good job at identifying games and then bringing in the market to mostly pretty high um, applause you know yeah i mean they do have the best wrpg of the last 15 years so <laughs> oh what an amazing arc chris what an amazing <laughs> arc not much more on that the next thing up quick easy news capcom will be holding a final open beta for street fighter 6 on uh, through rather May 19th through the 21st. Um, that one's clearly very easy to go through. Uh, we're going to start stinking into some of the PlayStation news that's going on this week. So, first thing, very simple, very quick, also a little unfortunate depending on where you sit. Bungie 
is raising the price of season passes, starting with Season of the Deep. So this is for Destiny 2. The price will increase from 20% or will increase 20% from 1,000 silver, which is the Destiny 2 currency, uh, to 1,200 silver, with the boosted price being the one that comes with a character boost being 1,000 more than that. So 2,200. Um this, I guess, goes to show that inflation even hits studios that were just recently bought up from Sony. Um, this is an interesting one because Sony have recently talked about how uh, game sales have been down to some degree and that they also think that some of what is to cost for that is the $70 price tag. So if you kind of go into this and you think, well, the $70 price tag has stopped people from buying games to some degree – why would raising the price of the season pass not have a similar effect? I'm curious as to how those two things are going off. Is this a bungee decision? As Sony talks about trying to allow bungee to be as autonomous as possible. And then that conversation about Phil comes back into play. How much does Sony push on bungee and bungee push on Sony to try and create a better product, a better market, you know, ad nauseum. It's curiosity. Do you think this will have any kind of negative impact on Destiny 2 or any of the conversation around it? No, probably not. Yeah. Seems unlikely. That's the type of game that people are willing to spend that type of money on, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, next piece of news, we have Herman Holst talking about live service games. So this is in an interview uh, with GI Biz. So... Holst claimed that even though SIE has a significant number of live service games planned for the coming years, that doesn't mean that they'll all be modeled on Fortnite or Destiny. Quote, we understand the competitive competitive environment that is out there and the time investment from players that live services offer, Holst said, and we want to deliver the highest quality games. There is a risk that we talk about live service in generic terms as if it is a single genre or even a single business model. PlayStation Studios are making a variety of games that could be referred to as live services, targeting different genres, different release schedules, and at different scales. We are also creating games for different audiences, and I take confidence from our track record in creating worlds and stories that PlayStation fans love. Um, it continues. This is, again, an article from over at Video Games Chronicle that references that um, that games uh, industry.biz interview Hulse says it says Hulse was talking following the news that Sony has acquired Washington based Firewalk Studios the developer which is part of independent games company probably Monsters was already working in partnership with PlayStation on a yet unannounced multiplayer IP and yet SIE decided to acquire it even before its first release just like with Haven Studios and in quoting of that, Holst explained, every studio relationship has its own trajectory. In some cases, we have worked with companies for many years as external partners before bringing them into SIE. In other instances, an acquisition has come around more quickly. It depends on what the studio needs to grow and succeed and what makes sense for both sides. We have been working closely with Firewalk for a while now. We both we have both really enjoyed that process and we have incredible confidence in what they are creating. So this felt like a natural step. That is the end of that article. Uh, and I think it's a really good thing because we've we've often been talking about games as a service and how PlayStation's approaching it. And it is a little hard to not feel like that conversation feels one note. Would you agree with that, Chris? Like it does feel like you're talking about one type of game 
Yeah. But games as a service isn't necessarily at a point where I think you can easily nail it down yet. And there's clearly a way to make any genre games as a service e. It's just what's the what's the market stick. So what do you yeah, think of this? I mean, I think I think this this is pretty clear, right? I've always been arguing that MLB the show is a games as a service that comes from Sony. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think the problem is games as a agree. service. Yeah. Games as a service does get a bad rap, I think, because I don't think it means what people take it to mean. I think a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to get a free-to-play Fortnite game from Sony 10 times next year, which I don't think is Mm -hmm. the case. I could make the argument that with a couple tweaks, Fallout 4 is a games as a service. Right? Like... Well, Fallout 76 is that game with those tweaks. Well, sure, but I'm not even talking there. If 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 Bethesda updated Preston on a regular basis, it would be games as a service, yeah. right? It's that simple, you know. If every week Preston had new missions for you to do, the sanctuary needs your help, and then it was different missions coming out, that would be a games as a service. So, for all we know, that's what they're talking about. We could be looking at something like I've always been saying for Pokemon. Give me a a game where. Or the base game is one island, and it's got a train station that says, coming soon. The train is down. There's a bunch of fucking electrodes on the tracks, and we can't drive the train. <laughs> you know? And That's then, the most Pokemon-sounding shit I've <laughs> ever heard. <laughs> There's a Snorlax asleep in the track. He's just fucking there. No one, one has day, a Poke Flute. Yeah. One day, a random man will stand next to the computer in the Pokemon Center and hand you a Poke Flute after you buy this DLC. But... The point I'm saying is that with that Pokemon thing, right, it's very simple to think of a way where, bam, here's $60 and you get the Johto region. Bam, $60, you get Kanto. Bam, $60, you get the islands, Alola Islands, right? And that would be a games as a service. So there's a lot of ways to do it that aren't just, oh, here's your Apex Legends clone or your Fortnite clone or your Rainbow Six Siege clone, Um so I think it's it's looked at weird, but I think there's a lot of ways for it to branch out past that. You know, you know, I think the way that because we've talked about it plenty, right? And I think that if I were to boil down the way that in my head I view it as I'm speaking about it, and whether or not that comes off in the way I'm speaking about it, y'all would have to tell me. But I think that the one through line for me is more that the real takeaway from the idea of a games as a service is that. All of them, and I'm, I'd am i love to be proven wrong, but even with the way he's talking about a variety with genre and scale and all these different things, when I hear games as a service, what I really hear is a game that is made to try and keep as much of the player base playing that game consistently and as long as possible with no real end date in sight. That can happen across a number of genres, a number of play styles, a number of ways to market and monetize those games. But at the end of the day, the idea is try to retain as high amount of player base as possible with some kind of monetary aspect that comes into play where they continue to get this content at a price, which completely makes sense because someone has to develop that content. And so where I see myself coming down on it somewhat negatively is that I just don't like that being, I don't, I don't like that stick and I don't like it coming at a high 
pace if that's what all of them are actually going to be. I don't want to play 20 games and feel like they want me to play them. Now, the upside to that is every single one of these games, you can just dip out whenever you choose. It's just you get that Asura's Wrath 2008 Prince of Persia feeling where it's always unfinished. If you don't conti- if you don't choose to come back to it, I am probably going to go back to Destiny 2 whenever the final shape comes out because I want to tr- see what the story actually resolves in. But there's a big part of me that doesn't want to do that either. So you run into that thing of like, do I play a series of games that I feel unfinished on across the board or what? And that depends on genre, because Gran Turismo 7 is undoubtedly one. And that's a game that doesn't feel unfinished, because you find your joy in your own thing. There's no story. Um, but we'll see. It's, I don't... It, look, anything with DLC is a games as a service. Anything with microtransactions is a games as a service. Persona 5 Royal is a games as a service. Like, it's it's just Is it really that simple, though? I think I, so. I, and I, mean, I mean that in the general sense of those games aren't made in a sense where there, there's a team that consistently works on weekly output for that. No, you know what I mean? sure. But they're trying to sell you stuff and they're updating the store once in a while with costumes, with music packs. That's a service. It's just sure. not in the same sense as what Fortnite is doing. You know, no, mm-hmm. you can't run around as Goku and persona, but mm-hmm. there's still games as a service. There's just, it's just degrees of games as a service. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And I think it's still pretty nascent. I mean, there's a lot of ways to milk that cow. We'll just have to see how they choose to do it. I would agree with that. Nothing crazy. Okay. Uh, Next piece of news, the wait for a PlayStation showcase should be over in a week or two. Multiple people have guessed or rather leaked a showcase would be happening before Summer Games Fest. And now Giant Bomb's Jeff Grubb has narrowed down the timing to the week of May 25th. If he is correct, we should get an announcement soon. Though, also, it wouldn't surprise me if they do the PlayStation thing that they've been doing for the last three years of where we find out the week of. Also <laughs> or like the four days before. Tuesday, we're going to have a PlayStation showcase. Fuck, it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of exciting, is it not? It is exciting. I'm yeah. excited. I don't know which one I prefer more. The feeling of knowing that there's an exact date and time that you're prepared for six months in advance because E3 was always kind of roughly the same time or the complete like, will they or won't they? You know, it's like, is Sony going to kiss Becky or not? (laughs) It's just kind of in that little (laughs) weird setup. Um, But that brings with it a question. So Savoy Prime, he asked over on Twitter if the Sony showcase is really going down on May 25th or the week of May 25th. What do you want to see? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I mean, there's. I want to see some new IPs. I want to see some third-party deals. You know, maybe give me an update on Ghost of Tsushima 2, Bloodborne Remake, um, Bloodborne 2. I'm about to say Bloodborne 2. <laughs> Killzone. You know, all of this kind of stuff that might be there. I don't have expectations because they've been so silent that I don't know, right? Sony Santa Monica just put out God of War, but could they be ready soon? Sounds like it. <laughs> Who knows? Um, it's It's a weird question because if I'm being honest, what I am in the mood for right now 
and what playing the Vita has been reaffirming for me is that I have a lot of love for uh, short bursts, small scale experiences. And so while I don't think this is what's going to happen, what I would like to see is some kind of version of what I've been talking about since the rebranding and restructuring of PlayStation Plus, where what we start to see is Sony's internal, whether it be second party or whatever deals, where they start partnering with studios or letting some of their internal actual SIE studios break off and do very small teams uh, with people that want to make short burst experiences with beloved PlayStation IP. And whether that ends up being beloved IP that people want to see new experiences in that you don't want to give a huge budget to or what remains to be seen. Like, I would absolutely love a Killzone game, but maybe Killzone's not in that legacy IP territory yet where they feel like it's happened too soon. So maybe they go, now it's time to make a new Ape Escape. But it's a, you know, it's a, it's a five hour Ape Escape game. Like it's, it's not too outside of the scope of the originals. It's new, bring some new ideas, but it's not a triple A game. It's being developed as kind of an indie slash double A game. And it's not a huge scope. We want to keep it tight and small and let people make these games for cheap and experiment and have fun. And then maybe sometimes those ideas that we experiment with can be reiterated in bigger projects. Because there's a lot of value in letting teams experiment and do things in a product that you can still put out that you can then use that idea somewhere else. I am fairly positive that Ratchet & Clank's instant loading between portals is somehow tied into something they wanted to do already with Spider-Man. And they thought Ratchet and Clank is a smaller scale title that we can try this in, get our grips around, and then we can expand on it in a future Spider-Man game. So you're buying into uh, multiverse Spider-Man? Is that what I'm hearing? Maybe. Maybe. I would accept that. So, But with that (sighs) said, that's what I'd like to see. This This is where you show me Twisted Metal. This is and and you show yeah. me Twisted Metal that is not a a sixty seventy dollar triple A game. Show me Twisted Metal that is just like what for for the Vita fans out there like a Motorstorm RC. I'm not saying it has to be that, but a small scale game for big fans of what it was that's not trying to bring triple A production values to a game. I would be perfectly fine with a new game in the Twisted Metal franchise that is being developed like an indie game. So. That would be what I want to see. What I actually think might be coming. It's curiosity, man. I feel like that's why I, I think when Chris kind of f- brought up this idea of checking in on what PlayStation First Party is doing, like, like we're going to do here in a little bit, you're ripe with so much possibility because Sony has been oddly quiet since 2019. We really don't know a lot. And most of the studios put out their last game in 2019. And maybe they've put out, you know, a director's cut of that game or a PS5 update of that game or whatever it be. But most of Sony's premier studios haven't talked in four to five years, which is what we're kind of seeing being the typical development schedule. So, yeah, it feels like anything's on the table. But like Chris, more more third party deals. I know that sucks for other people, but we're PlayStation gamers. If we get to see like, oh, this is something that Sony believes in, they're pumping money in and trying to make it the best it can be. I'm not going to be upset that other people don't get to play it because I'm still getting a benefit. (laughs) So 
I'm not doing it to gloat so much as I'm saying like, yeah, third-party deals are cool because I still benefit from them. Then again, I benefit from all third-party <clears throat> deals because I have all three systems. Yeah, it's just how do I do I Your want trophy to, list right? benefits from them? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think that is true. Small tangent, but specifically on that point, I think we're at the point where nobody should be talking about Sony money had this or Xbox money had that. Once once they bought Activision, is like yeah, no shit. Everyone's everyone's money hatting. Let's move on and stop talking about that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It makes most- it, it it makes Tomb Raider, Rise of the Tomb Raider, Xbox uh, One exclusivity seem fucking quaint. Right, exactly. That's <laughs> cute in comparison. Yeah, it's no. it's just there's a lot of things I'm hoping to see, but I think. I'm kind of with you, mostly because I've been saying I want it forever. Have I hope that that showcase they pull what Xbox did a couple years ago when they bought all those studios, and they have the PlayStation Plus essential team, the the teams, and we've bought these teams and Super Giants part of the family, all this stuff. I don't know that they will, Dude, but no joke. If they go in and they go, look, Xbox is over there spending you know sixty billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> On on Activision, guess what? We just spent ten on a bunch uh, we, of cool small studios. Not even that, dude. You could honestly be like, yeah, we bought Motion Twin and Super Giant and Team Cherry and fucking. We bought all these teams Cuphead for like five hundred million, dude. Right. You know how crazy that, and and we're just gonna let them kind of make the things they want if they want if they want it to be new original IP, cool. If they want to dig into our treasure trove, cool. That would make a sick showcase for me. Here's a thought experiment for you, right? What excites you more? Hi, we just bought Bethesda. The Bethesda family of teams is joining our Microsoft family. Or, hi, we've just spent $500 million on Team Cherry, the guys behind Cuphead, Motion Twin, and we're putting $200 million in each of those studios' pockets to make games. I feel like there's a very clear answer to which is more interesting and exciting. Interesting and exciting is those teams because they're, they're known quantities suddenly going into unknown territory. I think the thing about a company like Bethesda is that they were bought to be Beth- to just continue being Bethesda. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd love to be wrong, but do you really think that suddenly with micro Xbox buying Bethesda, that Bethesda is going to start making like they're going to start being the new developer for legacy Xbox IP? Part of the problem there is they have less legacy IP than any other manufacturer by the nature of being the youngest of the three, right? Mm-hmm. Like PlayStation struggles with that. And they're a whole generation older than Xbox, and they came out as a smash success. I'd argue that the reason Xbox came into the console space at all is because PlayStation showed that a newcomer could come in and be a breakout success. And yet, even PlayStation has a problem with super legacy IP to the same degree that Nintendo pulls it off. So, yeah, I don't think that Bethesda is going to start being like, hey, Bethesda is going to make a new Gears of War or Halo. Or No, Forza, I don't or, think that either. You know, I don't even dust. think... <laughs> I'm not even saying that in what I would what I'm talking about. I've been pitching the idea forever, which came true of giving motion to in Castlevania. And we'll talk about it in a little bit, but there's a rumor that Sony has exclusivity on Silent Hill, Metal Gear, and Castlevania with Konami, right? True. So it's very easy to see a world where Sony's like, hey, we bankrolled Konami to make a new 
third person third person Castlevania game, spiritual successor to Lords of Shadows, but good. But we've also got our smaller, more focused PlayStation Plus Essentials team working on a 2D old school Castlevania headed up by Motion Twin. You know? Yeah. See, and the reason I think that, that those are the more interesting buy is only because those are beloved developers that have been working with indie budgets. Yeah. And when you suddenly move them in, their potential to grow and expand is kind of like Housemark. Like you see Housemark go from their beloved games to Returnal, which was a smash success for them, at least in terms of reception and general love from the console side. And so if you look at what a team like Housemark can do when suddenly very hugely supported by Sony, imagine what something like Motion Twin and stuff could do. And so mm-hmm. I think the difference there is that like Bethesda already makes big, massive AAA games and already has their own carved out niche. And so does Activision. So you're buying them to continue being what they are. You're not going to realistically expand them or make them into something bigger than they already were because they're already fairly big. At this point, a motion twin and those things is like now that they don't have to worry about being independent anymore, which comes with some downsides too, because there's new expectations. They have deeper pockets to work with, more IP to work with, and it feels like the potential for them to grow into something is more palpable. And that's what makes it exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I totally agree. We're on the same page. My I guess my question comes more from Knowing that they're investing and not just letting the studio sit there is what excites me, you know. Yeah, but no, it's a it's a pipe dream thing. But who knows? Maybe I'll be right. <sighs> Phil Spencer already said I was right once this episode, so <laughs> maybe next in a couple of weeks we'll have uh, another Chris was right moment. All right, next piece of news, as Chris kind of hinted at, uh, rumored for nearly as long as the next PlayStation Showcase has been a remake of Metagross Solid 3. Now, according to many journalists, Andy Robinson among them, has said that we should see Metal Gear announcements soon. There's nothing much there other than that until you pair it with another rumor. Nick Special? That's a weird spelling of but okay entry nick special reaffirmed the metagross solid 3 talk whilst continuing on to say that some level of exclusivity was going to come with it jez corden followed up that he also heard similarly about metagross solid exclusivity for playstation he followed up with a juicier tidbit that sony has landed a deal with konami for silent hill which we've of course already seen materialize with two and its remake uh, metal gear and maybe even a new Castlevania. If Grub is correct, I'd imagine we'll hear about some or all of this potentially during the week of May 25th. (laughs) We'll see. Um, Yeah, so the bigger question I have here, right? So you were talking about uh, if Sony were to buy all these teams and then start kind of looping them up. Uh, so while that is always a possibility because literally everything is a possibility, which became painfully obvious when um, Bethesda got purchased overnight. Yeah. <laughs> no, but point being, let's really look at this from the way that we're kind of seeing Konami do these things now. I would imagine that Konami is going to be the one partnering with developers on this. Um, and Sony's probably not going to, even though Sony's brokering exclusivity deals, I really doubt Sony's coming from a place of uh, choosing the developers. Unless the weird Disney, Marvel, Spider-Man situation where 
Sony just went to all of their studios and was like, pick any Konami IP and you can make a new game <laughs> in it, which would actually be sick. But sucker punch ape, uh, shit, I forgot the, the thing I was going to make a joke about. Never mind. Please continue. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. That's fine. Um, yeah, so with that in mind, I think my question is, do you have a vision of existing development teams? Who's to say that these won't be new development? Because they, they open their new studio, right? Some of these games may be something that's planned to act somewhere in those new studios. So I would say not. If these games are being talked about and with some level of exclusivity, you would imagine that they're already tied to developers and they're far enough along that these talks have happened. So with that in mind, do you have a developer that you have in mind at the AAA level that would make a Castlevania and a AAA developer that you think, uh, or maybe even a AA developer that's getting pulled up to the big leagues from Konami to make Metal Gear or Castlevania? Do you have dream picks or expectations? Okay, so we are going dream picks here? Because I have dream picks. It it can be. I, I just think scale has to matter. I don't think they're going to suddenly go to Team Cherry and be like, "Bro, Hollow Knight was fucking awesome. Come make a new AAA Castlevania." Because I don't think two developers, <laughs> however big Team Cherry is, they're small. I don't think they're going to bust out a AAA Castlevania. <laughs> no, but they could bust out a AAA <laughs> indie style Castlevania. Whatever the hell anyway, that continue. Meant. That was so, a so weird thing to say. That is a weird thing. AAA indie. I mean, yeah. okay. Um. I think that's called NDA. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what happens you when can't you leave talk a game early. Um, <laughs> no, I think like my dream picks, I think I've said it before. My dream pick for Metal Gear would be IOI. My dream pick for Castlevania. Okay. My dream pick for Castlevania would be FromSoft. And obvious. Yeah, that was very clear. Yeah. Or I'll give you another one, which I actually think is a significant possibility platinum um oh good Man, platinum, that would be though. good platinum <laughs> <laughs> it can't be babylon's fall platinum. not babylon's <laughs> fall not legend of Korra. not ninja turtles but good platinum mm. so that would be those are my two for castlevania and i think if i was going to go silent hill it's not possible, but Tango. <laughs> that would be wild. Yeah. I don't necessarily, because I didn't love the Evil Within 1. I didn't play 2. I, uh, I didn't both. beat 1 either, because uh, I kind of just fell out of it. But I would still, it would be interesting to see. My only worry would be that Silent Hill's bread and butter yeah. has always been almost devoid of combat. Now, I would love for combat to come into these games in a way that doesn't overtake them and become the primary concern. Silent Hill's at its best when you're having to deal with heavy and weighty subject material and how it's impacting the characters in in this world. And I feel like the moment you bring Tango into it, gameplay becomes some level of king there where they want combat to feel a certain way. Okay, so I've been doing the thinking, and I think I'm going to shout out a team. And I'm actually not even sure of their name. They're that small of a team. But I'm going Go to it. the people, to the two people who made Signalis, and I'm like, make, make a Silent Hill game. That's what I'm you doing. You know, that might work. Yeah. From what I have played of it, that might work. Mm-hmm. 
So that's from as far as I can tell, that's two people. So good luck. But I'm giving him Silent Hill. That's that, that's like that Team Cherry Castlevania. You yeah. got this, baby. Make it happen. Yeah, but, I but think after the, Silk Song, please. Yeah, please get <laughs> Silk Song going. Um, the team is Rose Engine, by the way. Mm. But okay. I think, you know, Rose Engine would be an interesting team for a smaller scale. That's the thing. I think we're looking at smaller and big scale, right? Give me a big scale MGS game by IOI and a small scale remake by Virtuous, who is clearly the people making the MGS remake. Give me Motion Twin Castlevania and FromSoft Castlevania. Give me Platinum Games, Silent, or, 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 you know what I'm saying. Or shit. I mean, look. This is this is physically impossible, but we're going with dream teams. The absolute best team to make the next Castlevania is or the next Silent Hill is one of two. It is Resident Evil team or Kojima. It's one of those two are the two best teams to make a new Silent Hill. Kojima, Kojima, I'll follow you because I feel like he could do it. Problem with RE team is it will be injected with too much RE. But I'm the problem is like clearly from what they're saying about Silent Hill 2, they're making it an RE game. So at that point, fuck Bloober Team, who's never made a good game, <laughs> and give it to the Resident <laughs> Evil guys. Listen, the point being is that the difference between them is that at least Bloober Team, uh, for all of its upsides and faults, when you play a game like um I'm of course failing right now. Their the most medium. recent game they put out, the medium. The medium at least speaks to the idea of the game is not about combat. It's just about finding ways to interact characters in a world in a way that can just vibe with players and pull them into this emotional setup. And whether or not they can scale up in a way to do that justice on Silent Hill 2 remains to be seen. Um but Silent Hill 2 is just another Resident Evil game is not going to do it. Now, I'll give you this, right? To give you just a little bit of credence. The best Resident Evil in a while, in my opinion, is Resident Evil 7 because of how much more it's focused on tense personal interactions than most Resident Evil games have been. And I really like that smaller scale feeling that I think could work. The worst part of Resident Evil 7 is when you get toward the end onto the the, the cruise ship and it's just all combat focused suddenly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, damn it, you've completely changed this game on me. I spent three quarters of the game in a consistent environment that made sense and had a tone. And then you just threw that shit to the wind. You know. You know, I would also give a shout out to Protocol Games. Don't know how many people know them, but they made a game called Song of Horror, which is really good. They could be a cool developer for it. So, you know what? Yeah, I don't know. IOI is so interesting because I kind of get where you're going. I think you're thinking Metal Gear Solid 5 and then scaling that up. And I could see IOI kind of doing that. But it's weird. My first, it's funny that you said Platinum because my first instinct on Metal Gear Solid was Platinum would be an interesting one because they've messed around with the Metal Gear Solid world before. No, they have not. They have messed around with Raiden. They, I said a, the world. Is, okay, okay. Don't, don't, uh, all right. I said they messed around with I, the world. All I heard was they've messed around with Metal Gear Solid, and I'm like, even Which me, is also true, because the game is called <laughs> Metal Gear... Actually, is it, is it Metal Gear Revengeance or Metal Gear Solid? It's called Metal Gear Revengeance. Yeah, I didn't think it was Metal Gear Solid Revengeance. Oh, it's Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Oh. Yeah. Fucking... 
terrible names, man. Um, but IOI to me is if you're going to commit to the stealth. And IOI can do, oh shit, you broke stealth, good luck. Yeah, like, They can do that. I, like, I don't know, you they're not my first put, choice, but I get where you're coming from. Yeah, because you're a sickening human being and haven't played Hitman 3 yet. I have played it. Have you beat it? not enough. Did you oh, get the on, platinum actually, it may like been, I did? It may have been Hitman 2. That's Which worse. one did I play? Probably not Hitman 3 because we would have talked about uh, Mission 2. <laughs> well, it's, it's the one where you kick a guy, you can kick a guy off of a skyscraper. That is mission. not specific. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> you can pick up a knife and stab him, or you can just kick him off. Lord, we're talking about a Hitman game. There's I kick someone off a, a building in a every mission. Again, you're not being specific. Although that you sounds have to like, drug, you have, you have to drug a dude and then get his ID and pretend that you're him. In this same mission, are you fucking with me? <laughs> no. These are everything you've said could be. I haven't in every played mission. all of the. I'm sure. I'm sure it could. You have I'm not said one mission specific thing. Oh, you can stab him. Wow. Really, you can you can wear his clothes. I've done that. It's if, gonna be funny when I can just nail this. Hold on. You probably played the first level of Hitman Three. Was it on a skyscraper? Yes. And they were doing a there was a party. And then the mission I was going into after that that I started playing for a bit was kind of like it, it felt like I was going to play um Knives Out. Uh Knives Out, yes. Then yes, you were playing Hitman Three. Okay, there we go. We finally got there, figured it out. My confusion could not be helped. It was <laughs> well deserved on your part. It, it, it's like me talking about Halo, the one where you shoot people, right? <laughs> the one where there's like a grunt and he there's runs up to you and says it. a funny line. <laughs> and he explodes. Master Chief says a, a witty one-liner, and then it's <laughs> silent for the next forty-five minutes. <laughs> there's only one bullet in there, Chief. That's enough, and then it's silent for the rest of the game. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was dude, my favorite what, part of Halo Infinite, by the way. But but yeah, but also it'd been so funny if that was literally the only dialogue in the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> that'd have been that'd have made that game honestly even better. Like I would agree. the weapon is still just talking to him and he's just like mm. <laughs> it just grunts. <laughs> Cortana's like, God speak to me, Chief. It's been so long. I miss your touch. Okay, look, we have a question based around that, and then we're gonna get Moved around with the rest of this. Based uh, around Cortana missing Chief's touch. Yes, exactly. I'm in for it. Rude days, <laughs> what do you got to say? Uh, Twitter user, at Dom Poopy Pants. You should clean that name. up, Dom. <laughs> he says, Metagross Solid 3 remake, want versus expectation. So he says, for him, expectation, Metagross Solid 5, Fox Engine gameplay, so he calls that open world vehicles, uh, fitted around Metagross Solid 3 story with multiplayer to charge fees, and it's no good. Want. Wow. Linear with semi-open enough to get lost in a dense jungle. Keep script slash David Hayter, if no plan for future port of original. Also, yes, at this point... If you're repaying fucking Kiefer Sutherland <laughs> when he was completely a different, like, arguably completely different character, we gotta no, stop. fucking stop! Don't do we, it. We gotta stop. Why are you? Why are you paying Kiefer Sutherland? David Hayter is not only more beloved within the franchise; he's probably cheaper. 
Look, I mean, we can't have that conversation because there's a. If you played the game, you know Dude, why Keeper so Sutherland spoilers. is the voice. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Let's I just know. move on. My wants are keep it the same. My fear is probably what you said, but realistically, my fear is that it's just going to be bad. I don't think they're going to change the game too much because they're smart enough to know, especially after what happened with Kojima, if they fuck this up, the fans will fly to Japan and kill them all. Hyperbole about. Um, look, is it hyperbole? Is it? Maybe not. Yeah, I didn't think <laughs> Maybe so. not. Uh, either way, look, I'm I'm in a somewhat similar boat as you. I get where you're coming from and the expectation being that they're going to go like Metal Gear Solid 5 because it was a huge game for them. But I also think that they know that the value of remakes right now are to be as mostly true to the original as possible. They're not looking at this as being a reimagining. I would say the best bet for this is actually closer to what you said you want, which is a game that's mostly linear. And then they look at certain aspects of the game and they go, this is a sensible spot that we can scale up and give you more of that ground zeros open vibe, but not so big as Metal Gear Solid 5. And you can kind of have your cake and eat it too, but it won't be the whole game. It'll be sections within the game so that it never truly loses the feel and pacing of the original. Um, I think that's what's going to happen. And I think it's a good way to modernize the game to some degree, uh, keep making it a little bit longer, and give a little bit more room to play around with things. And I think that that would come with keeping the script, but I do wonder if you open certain <laughs> parts of the map, is there any, is there any worry that the game may feel too silent or like there's story things that you could do within that? The safe bet is to keep the script. Don't change it at all. Don't add anything. Just have David Hayter come back in and re-record lines um, for fans. First of all, doing that I think is huge for fans. Fans will be like, Konami understands. They get it. Let's go. Um, That's my hope. And that, it's my it's my want and expectation. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't have a ton to say. I don't, Dude, I'm not a big I, Metal Gear guy, but... I yeah, personally I think be. they would be incredibly foolish to try and <laughs> reimagine the game as the first Metal Gear project without, Ko- without Kojima since... Metagross survive. I think it would be a huge misstep because what you've got to do first is you've got to prove to people that you know what they like about Metagross Solid, which you can only do by being like, we're going to remake it, but it's going to be almost untouched. We're going to expand areas where it makes sense to expand and it's just gameplay and we don't have to touch the characters and the story and the aspects that you loved Mm -hmm. about the original. And then as you continue going on, if they don't plan on re, you know, either rebooting or porting or remaking the original, then if you come and you get me with a Metal Gear Solid 6, I'm in a better position to be like, you know what? I'm receptive of Konami and their understanding of their own IP. Maybe they can pull this off. But I think everyone knows if Konami goes in and tries to massively shake up Metal Gear Solid 3 with a remake, but it's more of a reimagining, it's going to go down. It's going, regardless of how good it ends up being, it's going to be met with too much criticism before release that Konami wouldn't want to deal with it. It, it, The safer and smarter bet for monetary standpoint, for getting back on your feet as a game development arm, is to do this in a way that is as close to the original as possible while bringing it up to a spit polish. Mm -hmm. There you go. I will leave you with with these words of wisdom. 
Decima engine, by the way. That's funny because I mentioned on Discord how many of these game exclusive games do you think are going to be on Decima? Yep, and I my, think that makes a ton of sense. My guess is a total of one, and that is Blue Forden's Castlevania game. Um, <laughs> so my sage words of wisdom for Konami, right? Listen here, whoever's the head of Konami. In order to play ball, you must prove that you know ball. That's all I got to say. Okay. This is going to wrap this up for the rest in terms of the main section of the show. Then we're going to get to a, a few, a really one question that we don't, we won't get to otherwise. And then Velvet's Corner. Uh, on Friday, the Twitter account for Pixel Opus announced it's shut down. Pixel Opus, if you don't know, uh, is, of course, the studio that opened its doors in 2014 with Entwined, Shadow Drop It during E3's presentation, followed it up with Concrete Genie in 2019 on PS4. Um, they went to Twitter and said, as we look to new futures, we wanted to say a heartfelt thank you to the millions of passionate players who have supported us and our mission to make beautiful, imaginative games with heart. We are so grateful. Um, in June of 2021 is when we last got kind of an update from them. We got news of a new project from them, which was being worked on in collaboration with Sony Pictures Animation. Um, Chris, do you have something you'd like to say? Yeah, I just want to let you know I have to use the bathroom. So while you finish reading the news, I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gotcha. Uh, Sony had this to say on the closure. Uh, quote, PlayStation Studios regularly evaluates its portfolio and the status of studio projects to ensure they meet the organization's short and long-term strategic objectives. As part of a recent review process, it has been decided that Pixel Opus will close on June 2nd. So, a few things are kind of happening here. While Chris is out, we'll kind of go through them. Um, I think the first thing is, is that it's unlikely that whatever they were working on with Sony Pictures Animation is going to be picked up and moved elsewhere, though not impossible. Uh, secondarily, we're, it's currently unclear if any of these people will be going into and being absorbed into other PlayStation Studios, if they'll be being hired out, or if they're just going to kind of go and be on the free market once again. Uh, a lot of that remains to be seen, but we've got some time in the in-between for either that to become clear um, or for us to just find out that we're not going to learn about it. So Chris and I, um, on Twitter at least, as I saw, took this a little differently. And uh, it's, it was funny because... Chris kind of mentioned we were we were talking a little bit about this last night before a hand on um, on Discord in a private message, and he had mentioned that he feels like me and him might feel vastly different in regards to this, um, and I don't quite think so. So, Chris, I'm going to give you the opportunity now that you're back to go ahead and kind of give your thoughts uh, on the Pixel Opus closure. Um, I think it's very sad that people lost their jobs. I think Concrete Genie, for all accounts, was a great game. And I think this means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, that's a... It depends on what you mean by grand scheme of things, because kind of like you talked about earlier, it's kind of like where you're looking at it from. So, so I'll, I'll I explain. Think, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Pixelobus has put out two games in a decade. Yep. That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> There's no well, 
to be fair, looking at us, all PlayStation Studios as of lately have put out two games in a decade. Sure. But the mm. impact of these particular games on Sony's overall portfolio, um, from at least a monetary standpoint, is insignificant. When's the last time you thought about Entwined? Uh, I've never thought about Entwined because I've never played it. But Concrete Genie was quite great. I guess my and big I think thing, about Concrete Genie a lot, actually. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm sure. I, Just I to answer t- that part of the question. Yeah, I said this on Twitter and I felt kind of bad about it but i i still kind of believe it is there's a there's no reason for there to be any hand wringing about pixel opus all of this like oh no what's going on with sony they're closing studios down this is a studio that's had very minimal output and the output they did have was not a game like the last of us or El- little big planet or ghost of tsushima or god of war this is entwined in concrete genie in 10 years you know and then I guess uh, you would have to imagine that the game they were working on did not was not meeting standards. So they closed down a studio that, while sad and while these people deserve jobs, and I'm sure that they'll either be moved around and distributed into PlayStation or into other dev studios. That's the only thing we can hope for them. The, mm-hmm. the studio as a whole was not a valuable studio. You know, if, if we were talking about, holy fuck, they shut down Sucker Punch this would be something to freak out about, but this is not, this is a studio of 20 people who made it, who have made two indie style games in mm-hmm. 10 years. It's hard for me to be like, yeah. this is the world is falling, which is what I mean. Yeah. I think so. So I know where I kind of came from it. Cause I told you, I have an emotional answer, like an emotionally yeah. driven answer, like where my own investment within them as a studio. Uh, and then I have, uh, Oh, and my investment in them as a studio and my investment as to what they stood for within Sony and its current setup. Um, and then there's the pragmatic answer. So to lead with the emotionally driven one, uh, concrete genie, the entire time I played it, I remember thinking to myself, this feels like PlayStation three era, Sony, <laughs> alive and well late into the PS4, which was a weird feeling because we didn't really have that. Dreams was probably the closest, but since it also wasn't an actual traditional game like Little Big Planet or something like that, it didn't have that part of it. It was more just the allowing players to create felt like something of Sony of old, but the rest of the game didn't necessarily have that because it wasn't meant for that. So you look at Pixel Opus, and I think that they kind of represent uh, the rain and Tokyo Jungle and Puppeteer and that era of Sony being more close to the ground with small teams making small games that review well, are fairly beloved, and grow a niche thing. And then you keep them around because of the value that... I would say this. I don't think that there's any way Pixel Opus was actively costing Sony any form of enough money. I'm pretty sure Pixel Opus is probably broke even across the board. But they also probably have done very little to nothing to actually make money for Sony. And so again, emotionally they're losing what feels like the last couple of hangovers of this PlayStation three era Sony that I love so much. And that's the emotional part of me. That's like, damn, I really wanted to see what they were like and what they were working on because I think their last title was great. And I think that they are the only part of Sony that's still going to push in a very 
unorthodox direction. So that sucks. Then I go about it pragmatically and I look and like I just said, 20 people, probably not making a ton of money, but they have, they're just basically shoved off in a side area of their, what are they, San Mateo. Um, And so they have this little place that they're kind of going through and renting out and they gotten to make a couple of games and I think it's great. And I think Sony kind of feels like, you know, we've given you what we feel like we've gotten value out of. What you're working on is not going to hit enough of our internal metric, which we just talked about earlier. Um, we've said that we believe Sony and any manufacturer in the position of having first-party studios should have their finger in the pulse of their studios and saying, like, we don't believe that this is going to be viable enough to continue to pump funds, resources, and time into it. Nor do we know if the... Even if it doesn't make money, we can't at least right now see where the critical reception value is going to be enough. And I think it's just there comes a point where you close them down. Sucks. It really does. Terrible. But from a business standpoint way, I see no reason as to why this should be the sky is falling. I agree with you. Um, This is not a big enough studio with a big enough impact on the industry. This is not EA closing visceral. This is not anything like that. This is not EA closing visceral in the middle of a Star Wars game that you've announced already. This is a small group of people that you didn't even know what they were working on separating ways and hopefully finding other jobs within PlayStation. Maybe not. Yeah. So I think that is a very easy segue into here we are Sony closing one studio that we really didn't know what they were working on. What is happening within the rest of PlayStation Studios? And I want to give credit where it is due. Chris, of course, found an interesting Reddit thread um, over on RPS5 by Celeborn2001. And he basically does all the work that we would need to do here for. So we want to shout him out and say, hey, you know, this is an easy way for us to go through and look. He references uh, media articles and all the things that are going around around each project and uh, that each team is or is not working on so that you can easily look up into it. So what we're going to do right now is take an opportunity to kind of dig through all of Sony's first party studios and some of their third party dealings potentially um, and kind of see what's potentially on the table for them. We talk about the PlayStation showcase coming up. Maybe this is where we start to get some answers for what some of these are. So without further ado, Chris, are you ready to go? Born ready, baby. Born ready, and then they had to change your name to Chris, so sons of bitches. Okay, first studio up. Let's go ahead and get it out of the way. Naughty Dog. So PlayStation Studios' biggest developer, as we all kind of know, it's their premier big developer that everyone loves and goes to. What we know right now is that they have a Last of Us multiplayer title in production. Of course, we call it Factions. As far as we know, that's going to be the name of it. Uh, We know that they are apparently working on a new IP, and there is some level of The Last of Us 3 being tinkered with and or actively developed, but it's not in full development. It's in pre-production. So last we heard was that there was some kind of script treatment kind of going around, but that's been two years ago. Uh, and that was in the writing conceptual stage. The new IP, on the other hand, is seemingly further along and potentially has a fantasy theme to it, as has long been kind of rumored. Space slash fantasy uh, has been the two that you kind of hear talked about most often. Uh, though outside of that, there are no other details about the game. So that's where we are with Naughty Dog. The only thing that we really know with any kind of certainty is factions. 
the question is, Naughty Dog's multiple teams now, kind of like you talked about with uh, Santa Monica, right? This other team's been around for a while. The Last of Us 2 comes out in 2019. We're in 2023. We're three years away from that, four years away from that. Now you would expect it would at least be a reasonable time frame to maybe not release the game, but start hearing about it. What do you think of that, Chris? I would agree there. Do yeah. you think the next thing we see is obviously the new IP? Outside would, of factions. I was going to say, you I know, hope the next thing we see is factions. but yeah. The, the, so the next unknown thing, do you think it would be The Last of Us Part 3 before the new IP? Or do you... I would imagine... The question is, is how many studios does that Naughty Dog actually have? How many subdivisions? How many teams do they have working within Naughty Dog? If it's only two and one of them working on factions and the other is working on the new IP, then The Last of Us 3 is definitely down the line. And you would imagine that the team making the new IP would want to take a somewhat break from yeah. The Last of Us while they get to explore around with the new IP. But what do you think? It's a difficult question because logic would indicate that you announced The Last of Us 3 when season two of The Last of Us ends. Which seemingly is a little little, little ways off. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very well that we could see the next IP. I mean, I, my my guess would be that Last of Us is a, is a Twilight Princess type of thing. Yeah. Where it's on PS5 and it's on PS6. Um. So my hope would be the new IP after Factions. Let Factions be it. Do something new and then have your cadence the same way you did Uncharted and Last of Us. So something I've been kind of... Struggling is the wrong word, but something I've been really curious about. Naughty Dog has a style, a type of game that they've really been into for the last two console generations, right? And they've not really deviated. Do you want to see the new IP be something in the same vein of the type of games that they've been making? Or do you want to see the new IP kind of tread completely new ground like Uncharted once did for, for Naughty Dog? You're saying, do you want me the new IP to be something new? I guess I'm saying, like, do you want it to be like a shakeup to the same degree as moving from a Jack to an Uncharted? Or do you want it to be a new IP, but still within the same basic trappings and ideas of what you expect out of a Naughty Dog game from the PS3, PS4 era, where The Last of Us and Uncharted are different games, but there's a lot of similarities and a lot of through lines. So do you want something more in the vein of that, or do you really want to see them kind of branch their creative uh, muscles and kind of move outside of the grounded, realistic could happen in our world tomorrow type games. Yeah, you know my, what I mean? My genuine hope is that they do like a cell shaded fantasy game. Like make <laughs> it something completely fucking different. Yeah. I, I well, want to see the next game and go, that's a la- that's a naughty dog game. That's what I want. You know, but we talked about earlier the the you know the graphics versus art style and all this. I think the problem that Naughty Dog kind of has given themselves is that they are the studio that people look to to set the bar for what first party PlayStation games are supposed to aspire to. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I think it's a little hard to kind of, you know, not agree with that to some degree. Um, (laughs) And so we, we know that Sony doesn't tend to push things out, but do you think the own, the studio within themselves feels a pressure 
to continue to push graphical fidelity in a way that is both photorealistic but outside of the realm of our planet as we know it. Like, you know, I think you could still do Mass Effect's treatment, right? Where Mass Effect is clearly aiming to be on the photorealistic side of things, but in completely unfamiliar territories to us. So we don't have a great frame of reference of what a spaceship is supposed to look like. So you have a lot of leverage to do something that's photorealistic, but it has a ton of room for artistic expression in a way that you're not familiar with. Like you've seen spaceships in TV and movie and stuff, but you don't really see spaceships like that. And in fantasy, right? If we go to fantasy, you kind of do the same thing. Like, well, we don't know what a magical tree looks like. Mm-hmm. So you can give me a photorealistic magical tree, but you have all of the creative license in the world to kind of do whatever you want within that. A good example of that actually <laughs> would be the the tree of life, uh, you know, from Uncharted 2 which is actually a pretty sick design and it's not really realistic at all, even though it's in a game that is otherwise pretty photorealistic. Yeah, I would be interested to see. I want something new. Yeah, me too. I mean, I'm curious. I just, I think that they might even like being able to move away from the incredibly grounded stories that are all like on earth and present day earth. I think it'd be a really nice change of pace for them to be able to do something that's still weighty, and emotionally bound like a lot of their stuff is, but in completely new trappings that we don't have expectations for. Yeah. Part of that is just getting away from characters that we know. You got to think like for the last 10 years, they've been only doing games with characters we already know. Yeah, it's true. Give us a new mascot for the PlayStation. Do it. I believe in you. you we need another character for PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale 2. I'm so sad that PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale didn't get Joel. <laughs> like, I don't know why, but that seems that seems so fucking cool. I think you can make Joel a really fun character to play as. Still, Ethan Mars being not being in it is a curse. Yeah, I'm trying to think that through, though, because, like, what does he do? Like, throw out the origami things? <laughs> yeah, he can throw the origamis. He could be like Professor Layton in, in uh, MVC3, where it was just like, objection! And then it would hit them, and they would do damage. It would be just, Jason! And then it would knock yeah. them out. <laughs> John! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I thought about uh, that he could sling that dick around, because he did that in that game, too. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe bring them all like, in. Dude, actually, no joke. I can't remember the character's name right now. It's Jace. Um, what is his name? I the, the guy who the guy who works for the FBI or whatever that has the glove that you can do things. You know how sick it would be for you to like spawn an item in your glove and then like bounce it off people and the items interact with players in different ways. Yeah. Also, I've got Joel's ultimate right. His ultimate. The whole screen goes black like The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. And you see Joel, and it does a little white outline around everybody, and everybody's stuck and can't move. And then the player gets to just aim and pop, 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 hit everybody. There I like that. See, I, I had one for Ethan Mars where the screen goes black, and it opens up, and he's setting a table. Right? You have to do the motion that's at the table, and then it like expands even more. And You, <laughs> you see hold the, R2 and L2 as yes, it drags the tablecloth. Exactly. But then what you see when it pulls all the way out is all the other characters in the match are sitting at the table, but they're all like knocked out. 10 out of 10. Mm. Mm. See, I thought it would be funny if it's 
like the the screen cuts to black, and then it comes up, and there's just a car fucking flying across the whole <laughs> stage, hitting everyone else as he's like, "Jason." Yeah, I'm into that. All right, let's, let's move on. We're going to be here ones. for another 40 hours. <laughs> this is stupid. All right, Santa Monica <laughs> Studios. Of course, everyone knows it just came out of God of War Ragnarok and God of War before that. Uh, so you assume with where they are that they wouldn't be close to doing another game, but you'd potentially assume wrong because as you may remember, God of War Ragnarok got a new developer uh, or a new director rather uh, so that Corey Barlog could go off with a different team within Santa Monica. And one thing to take note of, most of these studios are in new studio buildings that were expanded for more than one team. That's true of almost every developer. Uh, Sony from 2017, 2018, kind of through 2020 was kind of moving everybody into room to expand. So uh, think of it, Corey Barlog has not said much about what it is. Some people are taking to assume that it's a game that I think was called Dark Side. It's what he has on here that does sound right. And you may remember that that was the game that Stigus Musin was working on before he left to go join Visceral for their Star Wars game. It was a, for lack of better, I guess, like sci-fi game that had big lore. A lot of work was done. A lot of artwork and stuff was done. But the game apparently did not make any of the progress that Sony wanted it to do. Uh, there's some talk that maybe Barlog was involved in that before he left and started going around to all the other studios. I don't know for sure, but that is a possibility. The other thing could be just a general new AAA IP, um, whether or not it's sci-fi themed or not. The question I kind of have here is, I feel like Sony has to be careful not to have all of their studios doing something similar again, because we were part of it. The days gone, the last of us two similar uh, close to each other is a hard conversation to have. You don't want to have a bunch of games from different first party studios that feel similar. Uh, now, thankfully days gone and the last of us two are vastly different games, but it's not <laughs> yeah. as easy to tell that from marketing. One I is significantly argue. worse than the other. <laughs> the, the one, which one is which is for you to find out. Um, On the next episode <clears throat> of dragon ball. <laughs> Yeah. So, look, there's really not a lot to be said, but we know they're working on another AAA title. And presumably the, t- the studio that just came off is starting their work on figuring out what they want to concept out to be the next game, too. So we could be anywhere from a year or two out from the next Santa Monica game. So moving along, Insomniac Games. As we you know, Insomniac is kind of like the ace in the sleeve for Sony because Insomniac just puts out game after game after game. They're one of the most consistent developers and always have been. Even with elongated development times, they have kept on being able to put out a game roughly every two years at the most. That's pretty impressive. So when we think about that and keep that in mind, Spider-Man 2 coming on the way. We already know that. Hitting sometime this year, presumably September. I assume that will be confirmed when whatever this PlayStation showcase is that comes up. We know of Wolverine coming. Now, one thing we know is that when Somniac was bought, they had three teams. And it's iffy on whether or not the VR team was considered one of those three teams or like a small offshoot team, but it could be. So I think you have a couple of things to look at. There's apparently an unannounced multiplayer IP that was leaked by a job listing almost two years ago. So it could be that. And it also, so it could be one of the games as a service titles. One thing to also note, 
if the VR team is alive and well at Insomniac, this might be a VR title and be a multiplayer IP that is VR-based. Time will tell. But right now, we know of two games on the docket. Spider-Man 2, up and coming. Wolverine, seemingly not too long after that. I imagine this will be a Miles Morales, Ratchet & Clank release situation. One one year, one the next year. Pretty follow, pretty close follow-up, and then a good little two-year gap between games again. Chris, yep. what are your Thank thoughts here? Um, yeah, I mean, Insomniac's <laughs> the most interesting team I think Sony has, so I'm fast, always going to be fascinated to find out what they got coming. Um yeah, there's not a ton else for me to say with them because they could be doing anything. But my hope is that whatever the new IP is, is that it's good. And it's a, if I it's a multiplayer game, X-Men. Outside baby. of one game. Yeah. Insomniac has a pretty killer track record for new IP. Mm-hmm. And Fuse was not their fault. So yeah, I, I, I've always been curious as to how Fuse ended up the way it did. But if you take Fuse away, then they are really pretty well known for creating compelling IP. Whether or not it sells well is a little different because Sunset Overdrive didn't necessarily blow up the sales records. But it's a cult classic at this point. People love that game. Mm -hmm. So still value in creating compelling and interesting and identifiable IP, which is something they've continued to be able to do. Uh, even though, interestingly, Insomniac's value lately has seemed to come <laughs> from them using not their IP or creating new IP, but using other people's IP. Because uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Miles Morales, Spider-Man 2, and then Wolverine are all examples of just leveraging other IP and still getting tons of accolades without having to necessarily recreate the wheel with some kind of new IP where you've got to figure out all these things. Spider-Man and Wolverine are already at marketable characters. Half of the work is done. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. I'm curious if they're doing VR just because I feel like with VR2 on the horizon whenever they bought Insomniac back in 2018, that part of that thought process would be great. As we work on VR, we already have a triple A top tier developer that we trust that can also lead the way in VR. And I think part of that is, you know, we talk about like the success of Vita and the success of Switch and how part of the reason that Switch was able to be so successful is that Nintendo, instead of keeping a handheld division and a non-handheld division, decided, well, since we're going to make a, a hybrid console, we're going to pull all of them together. And so we will no longer have multiple, uh, I mean, uh, handheld teams and console teams. You'll just make Switch games. The great thing about that means that Nintendo's biggest developers and biggest creators are working on games for the Switch. Sony kind of is in a situation where VR, they need some of their known beloved developers, not only the known and beloved IP like Horizon uh, Call of the Mountain, which is great, but they also need some of the beloved names within their studio lineup to be support for VR. So if they can come out and say Insomniac, the team that brought you Ratchet and Clank and Spider-Man and Resistance are here with a new title, it's a big boost for VR, its viability, and people's thoughts on Sony's long-term support. Facts. Hard agree. I guess my big question with Insomniac is if they're the Marvel studio or not. And we won't find that out until their next announcement. I personally would be a little disappointed to see them completely drop all aspects of their own IP creation because I think they're good at it. It'd be like Sucker Punch giving up creating new IP. It'd be disappointing because yeah. they're good at it. They consistently make new compelling IP. 
why would you stop that? That's one of the most valuable things right now. The ability to make new IP in a, in a market in a time where IP is so hard to create because everything feels like it's been done to some degree. That's in, very important. So we'll see. Uh, Guerrilla Games. Next up, as we've recently talked about, they have a lot on the horizon. <laughs> uh, they are clearly a beloved studio um, for Sony. We recently got sales numbers for uh, Horizon, actually, that it sold 8.65 million or something along those lines uh, for Forbidden West in about a year, um, which people are curious if that's considered successful by Sony or not. It's clearly a ton of copies, um, but then it leads you to go, Ghost of Tsushima sold 8 million, and it's a multimedia franchise, baby. And Days Gone potentially sold eight million if we're to believe game director Jake Rocket, aka um, uh, Jeff Ross. So it's hard to say, but we know a couple of things. First thing we know: Horizon multiplayer title that we've been talking about a little bit. That idea of something that looks—I don't know how to say it other than Fortnite meets Monster Hunter. Yeah. I would agree. I guess that's the best thing to say. We've heard about the Horizon MMO, which is one of the weird things because we can't say if that's coming from Guerrilla so much as Guerrilla might be assisting in development at NCSoft, which NCSoft is an MMO developer. So it would make sense to give that to someone with that expertise rather than trying to build Guerrilla up a team that could be MMO focused when that has zero value for the rest of their games. So hard to say there. There's been some talk about mobile games and whether or not they're actually going to come out of there. So we have a couple of things kind of going. But the last thing to think about is the long-rumored Horizon Zero Dawn remake for PS5. I don't know how I feel about that one. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually coming. I don't know if there's really smoke where, you know, if there's smoke, there's fire. I don't know if there's fire at that smoke or not. I have no idea. I wouldn't be surprised by it, but uh, maybe they backed off given how the recent backlash around The Last of Us won and the rumors around that. I mean, I get you, but at the same time, The Last of Us remastered sold gang or remake sold gangbusters. The show only made it sell more gangbusters. <clears throat> My actual thought process here is that they're waiting for the Horizon Amazon series or Netflix, whichever one it was. Amazon, I believe. No, Amazon got God of War. God of Netflix War. Got Netflix got Horizon. So I think what they're doing is waiting for the, the Horizon Netflix series, and then they're going to drop it right around the same time as that so they can see that same tale of multimedia project supporting and creating a, a synergistic cycle of sales. It makes yeah. sense. New way to get people in, and then you'll see hopefully a secondary sales tale on Horizon Forbidden West and probably Burning Shores. So that goes back to what I was talking about with DLC is, are you just keeping the IP alive and well in a cheap way that still makes you money while you wait to really do your power move, which seems to be Sony's power moves lately is multimedia cycle? That seems to be it. Uh, so enough about them. Sucker Punch, as we know, Sucker Punch is a little trickier because it's a little more hard to nail down whether or not they actually have two teams or not. It seems a fairly safe bet with the smash success of Ghost of Tsushima, the fact that they want to make a Ghost of Tsushima movie, and the fact that Sucker Punch is pretty much known for always quickly and 
greatly iterating upon their new IP um, in a second game. So I think Ghost of Tsushima 2 seems a pretty much foregone conclusion, but Sony's really not said much of anything in regards to them. There is some apparently job postings a couple years back that suggest a multiplayer project of some comments in the work, but that could also be something similar to what we saw with Ghost of Tsushima Legends that they want to have ready to ship with Ghost of Tsushima 2, or much like they did there, and like Chris said, a few months after release, a couple months or whatever, immediately come with free free multiplayer update, or this could be Ghost of Tsushima 2's secondary side that Ghost gets to straddle, and I've been curious about this, Chris. I'm curious your thoughts here. Do you think Sony's going to try and have games that straddle the single-player realm and the games of the service realm by having a game like Ghost of Tsushima 2 launch with a single-player campaign that people buy, play, and love, and then a multiplayer mode that's baked into that that sees this long-term support that becomes that kind of game to the service tale for Ghost 2. Could you see that being a route for Sony? Definitely when they're having Herman Hulse talk about different scales, different ways of marketing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the ideal way for them to go about it. Give me, you know, God of War with a single player and then a multiplayer beat-em-up type thing. I don't know, just spitballing. But I think the way to assuage everyone's fears is to just be like, okay, you got a 30-hour single play here, and then here's Ghost of Tsushima Legends. Easy. I guess the question is, is do you think Ghost of Tsushima Legends in this situation, right, where it's hypothetically tied around two, do you think it would be that you have to buy Ghost of Tsushima 2, kind of a la Grand Theft Auto 5 and Red Dead Redemption 2, to be able to play that long-term games-as-a-service multiplayer, or do you think it would be separate to where you could just go and download Ghost of Tsushima's Legends or pay for it. It may still be a paid product. But I guess that's my question is, how do you make $70 games look better? Well, you take a multiplayer mode that could have been free to play, but you include it as part of that $70 package to make the $70 look more enticing. And then you have a long-term monetization out of it by being able to have it be your game as a service while still scratching your single-player itch. I mean, if it was me, I would do... Here's seventy dollars. You get Ghost of Tsushima story. You get Legends. Twenty dollars. You get Ghost of Tsushima Legends by itself. That yeah. way, you kind of get yeah, best of both. Exactly. Has uh has Grand Theft Auto? No, Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, has Grand Theft Auto done that yet with GTA Online? Isn't it like a separate? Yeah, thing I think you it's nineteen ninety nine. I know Red Dead Redemption has that. I can't be a hundred percent sure on GTA Five. Okay, gotcha. Curious. All right. Polyphony Digital, as we all know, Gran Turismo 7 recently came out. Uh, it's not that old. Uh, the Kazunori Yamauchi has already said they're working on Gran Turismo 8. That makes sense. The only thing is Gran Turismo has been in a weird funk of development times. So between 4 and 5 was quite long, but then 5 and 6 were pretty quickly followed up beside each other. And then Sport came relatively quick, and then Sport was the only thing until we finally got 7. I could see eight being three, four years away. That doesn't necessarily mean that Polyphony is doing much if they're still only a single team. Uh, and Gran Turismo is really the only thing they've ever done outside of, like we talked about with uh, Tourist Trophy. And <laughs> I guess technically, if you want to give them credit for um, uh, uh, Motor Tune Grand Prix before they were actually called Polyphony. Um, 
So I think that one's an easy one to kind of go ahead. The next thing to expect out of them would be Gran Turismo 8. There's little reason to think otherwise. The only question is when. Uh, moving along, Media Molecule, one of the big questions that we've had since Dreams announced uh, end of support is what is their new project? So what we do know is they're working on a new project. What I think is fair to say is that the way they talked about it, this is early days, unlikely to be anything we see for probably a few years, unless Media Molecule can suddenly pump out a game very quickly, which is possible. They did it with Tearaway. They did it with Tearaway Unfolded. They did it with Little Big Planet 1 and 2. The question is, does Media Molecule end up in the same four to five year new IP creation stage that most of Sony's first party has found themselves in? Or can they manage to swing something that's much quicker? Yeah, I would hope they do something quicker. Even if it's My, a small, like, Astrobot type thing, do something, get something uh, out fast to kind of give people a, yeah, Media Molecule still got it, you know. Well, and man, you know, one of the things I think Sony may have fumbled on most after playing Tearaway, I think Sony really missed their opportunity. And I understand why they did it. And it honestly, you could even argue that it worked. But I think Sony have a clear studio with a clear understanding of the types of games that Nintendo makes and excels at that they could get kids on and playing at an early enough time that they are allowing that market to just be ceded to Nintendo because the difference, I think, between Sony and Nintendo is that Nintendo makes games that are playable for pretty much all age ranges but tend to get kids playing so that they become lifelong fans. Sony tends to be, and I think this is the difference between their IP. We talked about how Sony has problems with legacy IP. Well, that's because they didn't continue to really bolster or make any of those like they, they didn't own Crash, they didn't own Spyro, and they didn't they never got the opportunity to get them. They just got the developers. Well then you make Sly Ratchet and um and Jack. And those are all really good examples of being kid friendly. But then what is the next game from each one of those studios? Super adult heavy. Mm-hmm. And the great thing there is that yeah, the kids who grew up with those titles grew into those ti- grew into those games too. But you don't have an avenue anymore on the PlayStation side for kids to become fans of PlayStation. And I'm curious as to when that will eventually catch up to them because Nintendo's bread and butter has always been being kid-friendly, getting kids into playing it, but then still having the 40-year-olds that love that Mario game just as much as the 6-year-old did. Yeah. Tearaway, Little Big Planet, and games like that are the way in for that. And Sony doesn't really have those. They tried with Knack and they let it kind of fall. And I I just, it's kind of like when Colin talked about many years ago when he used to talk about Sony can make a Vita successor at any point in time. Sony can compete in the handheld market. They're just choosing not to and they're choosing to cede the ground to the other competition because they don't view it as worth it or it's just too hard. But the reality is there's a market there that Sony could be tapping. Yeah. I uh, know. I completely agree. Uh, Blue point. Mm. So go ahead and get your Bloodborne 2 out of the way. <laughs> Bloodborne 2. Okay, so here you are um, in this great thread that he's talking about. Some people thought that the Metal Gear Solid remake was coming to them. Some people were thinking Castlevania remake. Though I'm not going to lie, dude. A Castlevania Symphony of the Night remake? Yeah. 
I could see it being sick even in a full three. Dude, okay. in Decima. Hear me out for a second. And I think you'll probably feel where I'm at here. Castlevania, Symphony of the Night, reimagine, redesign, where they look at all the levels and they reimagine them as actual three dimensional playing fields. And it is essentially a FromSoft style game in terms of map design and everything in the way that it works, but it still keeps all the Castlevania elements that FromSoft already heavily borrows from. And the reason I think about this is, Chris, have you played Demon Souls at all? Yes. Okay. The opening level of Demon Souls, the castle, I think is a good example of Metroidvania. Castlevania in this case style map design that is totally in line with it and could totally work take that and then kind of infuse it with all the Castlevania staples that you'd expect like breakable items that give you the things hidden passageways and whatnot and bam you've got a pretty compelling Castlevania game if you just restructure the beginning of Demon's Souls you've already got a pretty good foundation for it so that would be cool I would be here for that um yeah, so apparently the one rumor that he tends to go back to is from Colin Moriarty, who said back in 2021 that he had heard through the grapevine that Blue Point was making a Bloodborne sequel as well as a remaster of the first game. I'll tell you right now, I had no clue that came from Colin. I don't know if that's where you got it from. I didn't know that was even an actual confirmed rumor. No, or, Colin, you know what I mean. Colin putting it out there just made me feel smart. Um, in terms of that specific rumor, he's gone. On, I, I listen to Sacred Symbols, people know that. Um, he said that I guess the source has been right about everything else, but he's unsure what the hell is going on with Bloodborne. So take it for what you will. Mm, okay. Well, the thing about Blue Point is there's not much more to know outside of that. The one thing I would offer you is that Blue Point have said that their next project is going to be at a scale far <clears throat> beyond what they've done, and that from what I can remember, they're working on an original title. Now, as Chris has pointed out, an original title does not mean an original IP, just that they are not seemingly remaking a game for once. They could be making a new game in an existing beloved franchise. Yes, they That's could. pretty much where you are. Um, a Soulsborne style game maybe yeah so that's kind of where we are we don't know what to say what's coming that's what you can expect at Bluepoint Sony bought them for a reason uh, you would have thought to be the premier remake studio but if they gave Sony reason to believe that they could handle uh, making a sequel to a beloved thing I think it's possible and like I've always said about Chris's thing I think a Bloodborne 2 where Miyazaki came in and over, you know, basically was a, um, what is the word I'm looking for here, Chris? Kind of like what George R. R. Martin did, you know, for uh, Elden Ring. If Consult. he just basically, yeah, if he was like a consultant on this and he maybe wrote the, the overall lore of what he wanted to kind of be throughout the game and then he just left it up to them to design it. The thing is, is that, They've clearly shown an understanding of how combat for them works and map design for them works. The question there is just whether or not gamers would be receptive to it. Yeah. I think they would be. All you'd have to do is like, you remember when nine came out that animated movie that had welcome home in the trailer. Mm -hmm. Great trailer. Uh, I don't actually know how much involvement, if any, that, um, 
uh, over here saying Tim Schaefer. That's <laughs> Tim Burton. Uh, I don't know how much, if any, involvement Tim Burton had in it, but they marketed that movie off of him very hard, even though he was not the director. Do the same thing here. Just say that Miyazaki and, and have Miyazaki actually be involved in some degree, and then just say, you know, uh, from the mind of Miyazaki, that doesn't say how much he was involved in it. It just gives you a good marketing buzz. I'd be curious to see what ends up going off. Uh, but I think the bigger thing here is either a Bloodborne remaster or a remake. Uh, the question, I think, becomes whether or not a remake would be necessary to solve some of the issues that Bloodborne has that people seem to think are at a ground level. I don't know how true that is. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we can ask, ask Lance McDonald with his unofficial 60 frames per second patch. <laughs> Maybe he understands a little bit better. Sweet, uh, Adam. Okay, we got a few more here. We got Housemark. Of course, they just came off of um, Returnal. And I think the other thing we have to say here is that apparently they're going to be working on a new brand, uh, brand new IP. They're in a conceptual stage of it. And as much as Returnal <sighs> was awesome, Returnal may be a one and done, as most Housemark titles have been clearly an easy thing to check off Ben studio. The big question for everyone was clearly not days gone to at least not the initial pitch and it's seemingly not days gone to at all as after being uh, asked to try and work on uncharted and potentially from what this says, a, res- a resistance game, which I don't know if that's was accurate. Uh, but of course, as we know, Sony finally allowed them to come and present their own new IP and start working on it with multiplayer elements involved. Um, the thing about that is, with that being a relatively new revelation, a revelation rather, I don't think you're going to see anything from them for at least the next two or three years. Expect something similar to the Days Gone length of reveal and eventual release, if not even longer. Uh, Chris, I know that you're a Days Gone 2 fan, but do you, would you consider yourself at this point a Ben Studio fan? Still, or do you think that that kind of left with Jason or with Jeff Ross and John Garvin? I mean, I haven't liked anything else Ben has done, really. Um, So I'm a Days Gone fan. And I'm interested to see what they do because they've made a game I like. But yeah, the people behind the game I like are no longer there. So it's it's a hard question. Yeah, and that does depend on how much that their influence fuels their things, but I think that it's pretty reasonable to say John Garvin's creative directing standpoint uh, was a big push for all of their titles as he acted as the creative director on pretty much all of their games. (laughs) So it's going to hard, it's going to be hard not to feel that absence in some respect. So, all right, next thing up, San Diego studio, as you can expect MLB, the show series, no reason to think it's going to be anything other than MLB, the show 24. Um, they have not done anything else besides be throughout the PS4 era, besides be support studios, uh, for kill strain and drawn to death. I don't expect much out of them. It'd be really cool to see San Diego Studios suddenly pop up with a new game, but it seems like an ill-fated thing to really worry about. Uh, so I think it's safe to move on. Chris, you'll get more of your fix. MLB! <laughs> London Studio, one of PlayStation's own homegrown studios. London Studio is currently working on a new fantasy multiplayer IP for the PS5. Uh, they released concept art for it just a few months back. And because of concept art being shown, it's not completely crazy to think that this might be something that could be shown in the showcase. But 
I'm curious to see if Sony, with delays being a big talk in the industry again, if Sony aren't more interested in trying to only show things they know are relatively close. Question is, how close could that game be? Yeah, I'll be interested to see. Mm-hmm. Looks cool. London Studio is an interesting one because I would have thought that they ended up on VR because they were behind um, the Blood and Truth VR game that was very well received. Unfortunately, that seems to not be the case, which is a little... One thing I don't like here is that you're not really seeing much in the way of VR. And that's mm-hmm. something that just came out. You would expect that somebody somewhere would be working on some kind of VR title, even if it was just from job listings, but that's not what we're seeing. Uh, that's unfortunate. Let's see. Team Asobi. So this is spun off into its own studio after the closing of Japan Studios. Team Asobi stands as the only PlayStation studio dedicated toward platforming games, uh, at least Currently, Media Molecule might be coming back to that. Their mascot, Astrobot, has seemingly become PlayStation's mascot for the past few years. Uh, of course, the game that shipped with PlayStation, Astrobot, um, Playroom, and then the beloved VR title, Astrobot Rescue Mission. You hope that Team Asobi's next game will be one of the internal studios working on a PSVR 2 game as their first one was big. But the real question that I've continued to have is that if Japan Studio was restructured around Team Asobi and mostly shuttered, what is their next game? What is their real value to Sony? And in what way do they act as an ex-dev for Sony's Japanese game development partners? There's a lot of questions there, and maybe this comes into play where maybe they're acting in an ex-dev standpoint for Stellar Blade or things like it. Maybe they'll act in some capacity helping Bloober Team uh, with Konami. It's hard to tell. Unlikely since Bloober Team is not actually a Japanese-based studio. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, there's not much to think of or to go off of in this particular regard. My only hope is they do something because longtime PlayStation fans still feel the burn of closing Japan Studio completely, um, which is just super unfortunate. Uh, Fire Sprite. This is where we start to get into the realm of a lot of wild rumors. <laughs> so as you know, Fire, Fire Sprite's huge, first and foremost. They are a very big studio. Uh, they just came off of Call of the Mountain, uh, working in tandem with Guerrilla Games on that. So that's one of the VR titles. That's one of the Horizon titles of recent. One of the things we heard is that the Twisted Metal reboot uh, that was originally at play, if you're to believe the rumor, at Lucid Games, the team behind the Destruction All-Stars, They are apparently working on a reboot that has been moved over for Twisted Metal for them. Uh, There's some talk about a AAA narrative-driven horror adventure title, which is not too far outside of some of the games they made before being bought by Sony, like The Persistence, uh, which was a VR title. And um, Fabric Games, which is apparently its sister studio. Um, Another game in the works of Fire Sprite is a next-gen action shooter experience with a heavy focus on games as a service, which sounds like one of Sony's many games as a service titles. And then they are working on a mobile game. Uh, Whether or not that's going to be a new IP or something leveraging existing IP, probably the latter. That is what Fire Sprite have in the docket there. Now, Chris, Fire Sprite being a big studio... Do you have much expectations out of them with how new they are? Or do you think that they are still mostly in the prove themselves realm? They're definitely still in the prove themselves realm. Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, I played their first game. I believe it was called The Persistence. Mm -hmm. 
it was a VR title, then I think it got updated to be non-VR. Yep, and I didn't think it was good. So they have stuff to show me. They're doing well for me right now because Call of the Mountain is a very adequate game. Adequate. I mean, I, I, I I, I think it's a good game, and for a launch VR game, it's a lot better than it could have been. You know what I mean? Like, VR2 could have launched a lot weaker than it did. In terms of a premiere game, so it's a good start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think it's funny because I think we're going back to the Redfall discussion where adequate doesn't cut it for a first party studio to me. Yeah. So yeah, they got to prove it. It may cut it as a launch title for a peripheral, but is it going to cut it for AAA PS5 exclusives? You know, that's the real big big question because I think Sony's still in that place where PSVR 2, if it just ends up never getting any big games and the games that come out for it never end up hitting that great mark, it's going to suck. But I don't think Sony starts getting real backlash until that starts affecting the primary PS5 user base. Um, the question here is whether or not Fire Sprite's going to up themselves. My assumption here is that Sony saw enough value in them to buy them that makes me think that something somewhere Sony saw promise that given budget and assistance from, you know, in-house like ice and whatnot could lead to some great games. But like you said, I never heard just incredible things about the persistence. So I'm not strongly in one way or the other on them right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Twisted Metal Reboot may be the show. And maybe the value there is that Fire Sprite is in some capacity really going to be a mid-tier studio for them where Twisted Metal is a PS Plus tier game. And so part of Fire Sprite is dedicated to making PS Plus tier games. And, um, you know, if you're dealing with mobile games, that makes sense. It's a completely different kind of offshoot to that. And then if you're talking about a games as a service game, I can see the value for them outside of AAA story-driven games. The biggest question for them is probably the AAA narrative-driven horror adventure title. Yeah, I think that's the big one. Mm. Firewalk Studios, this is the newest studio edition. And currently, we all we know is that they're working on a AAA multiplayer IP. Um, Chris, am I wrong in thinking, did you call Firewalk in terms of thinking that would be their, their next acquisition? Yeah, I said Firewalk and Deviation. Yeah. Do you think Deviation is still somewhere in that ballgame? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because I think Sony's at the point where they're buying studios they're working with who they think the games look good. You know? Because I think this is... I don't know if I've said this, but I, I've likened it to you know a baseball team paying their prospect $100 million for 10 years instead of waiting for him to be good and then paying him $330 million for 11. You know? Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, either sign them now or, hey, you're going to end up signing them anyway, but it's going to cost a lot more. So why don't you pay $50 million for Firewalk and Deviation instead of $2.6 billion down the line? Yeah, my real curiosity is if this type of behavior is going to lead to more Pixel Opus-like things where it is, hey, we get them out, the first game just doesn't meet expectations, it kind of sours a relationship, we figure we cut our losses early, we go ahead and close down a studio that we acquired for next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In, in the grand scheme of, uh, you know, M&A. Um, okay. Yeah, I am in the same... All of these studios, the, the, definitely, like, Haven is the next one, right? New AAA multiplayer IP. And we keep talking about whether or not some of the value of buying that was some of the tech that they're working on. But I think the biggest problem we have is that for a long time, Sony buying studios they'd worked with for a long time meant that they were buying a studio you knew had a solid name. 
The problem now is that you're hoping that the studios are solid based off of who works at them. Firewalk is made up of a bunch of ex-Bungie employees um, and I think some other shooter game employees. Um, Haven is, of course, made up of Jade Raymond and a bunch of other people. So you're kind of hoping that the name of the people behind them is what's pushing it. Um, So I think quickly moving through that, Valkyrie Entertainment is one of PlayStation's smaller studios. Uh, And some people apparently think there's just a support studio, but this guy shows that there's job listings that tell uh, of an unannounced strategy game that they're planning on developing. While the list, the listing doesn't specify if the game is for console or mobile, it'd be safe to assume a sequel or spiritual successor to guns up could be on its way. We'll see about that. (laughs) Savage game studios, Picked up at the end of last year as a studio dedicated to mobile games. You may remember that. Uh, It has two locations. It's made up of developers from the studios behind Clash of Clans and Angry Birds. Currently, it's in the process of making a new, unannounced AAA mobile live service action game, which I think AAA and mobile is a really interesting connection of words that are hard to fathom and think about. But I'm curious as to what that really means internally within them. Um, Do you have much interest or stock in PlayStation's attempts to branch out into mobile? No, I think it's one of those things that it's a portfolio builder, but it's most likely stuff that's not going to mean much to people like us. Although, who knows? Maybe they make a PlayStation Snap and I play 400 hours of it like I have with the other games. Certainly possible. And then the flip side of that is that there's a lot of, in the core group of gaming that we're in, we don't think about it, but one of Square Enix's highest grossing games of last year was a mobile game I've never even heard of. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I don't know much about Savage. I mean, yeah, mobile me games, I don't think, are really for hardcore, you know, core gamers. But it's a good way to get people in. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, so, definitely makes me think that there's no real plans for an axe. It, it makes the Q Light make so much more sense because. You just make the games for mobile and then let Q-Lite be entirely. You don't have to worry about making games for it. Exactly. The next one up is, um, that was a Savage Game Studios. Next one up is Nixus. And from all we can see, Nixus is just picked up to be a PC port studio and to basically help those go over. Um, who knows what the next one could be? Maybe Rift Apart. That's what he speculates here. It's not a bad thing. We already see Returnal. We already see Uncharted. We already see a bunch of PlayStation Studios games moving over. So Demon Souls, maybe? Because Demon Souls has been, since day one, talked about as potentially a PC game. Um, who knows? Of course, we have Sony XDev, and it's a little different because it's just literally helping other studios out. But that brings with us all the things that XDev may have their fingers in. Death Stranding 2. These are where we start getting into deals. Death Stranding 2, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic remake, which has been having some trouble, apparently back on track. Stellar Blade, Rise of the Ronin. Uh, That's the new Team Ninja game that we were talking about a while back. Helldivers 2, Convalaria, Lost Soul Aside, part of their... um, China Hero Project, Project Ooze, Sumo Digital's Project Carbon, which is interesting because Sumo Digital got bought, but that doesn't mean that they can't necessarily still be working on exclusive PlayStation stuff. As Chris mentioned, Deviations, new AAA multiplayer IP, Ballistic Moons horror title, uh, Swizzle Kiss horror title. I don't even actually know what that is. Firewall Ultra um, is coming out of PSVR 2. That is one of the few VR titles that we know is coming out of SIE. Um, 
there's some talk that PS uh, Visual Arts is also coming back around to doing remakes like they attempted to do with The Last of Us before it got remo- uh, moved back over to Naughty Dog. Um, and there's still some talk that maybe there's an Uncharted remake or Uncharted 5 coming from them with them partnering with Naughty Dog. I can see that's a possibility. Uh, Bungie has got their games. There's one that's coming out is uh, Matter. They have their little thing that they showed off where apparently there's a game that's going to be set in the Marathon universe. Marathon's very old. That would be a crazy IP to try and come back around to. Certainly possible. Uh, And then apparently a Destiny mobile game that is trying to come around. Doesn't seem like Destiny 3 is something they're interested in. Destiny 2 has just become the platform that Destiny will continue to grow on seemingly forever. Basically becoming consoles World of Warcraft. Doesn't yeah. seem any reason why that wouldn't be the case. Uh, that is the end of the list as we have it right now. Of course, there's some other third-party deals that we know about, um, like Silent Hill 2, and maybe some more we'll learn about. But that's where we are. That's the state of PlayStation right now. We have one, and Chris, I think uh, I want to make an executive decision here. I know we didn't have an episode last week, but this has already been a long episode. We're going to answer the two questions, and then we're going to leave the other question that didn't have anything to do with this in Velvet's Corner, and we're going to use those next week. I know. I know. But it's where we are. I will do that for you. Are you ready? Do it. Velvet's Corner. Keep that tucked away in your ear. Oh, yeah. Wait for next week. I promise (laughs) we'll get you back. But we have two questions which I think play into this really well, and then we're going to wrap the show up. Uh, So Rude Days 93 patron, he says, which Sony studio do you think has more pressure to deliver a good game to avoid being shuttered? Media Molecule or Ben Studio? So clearly this looks like this is off the back of Pixel Opus. The question is, which one do you think is more at risk? They're both, for context, for anyone who may not be as aware of it, they're both very old studios for PlayStation. Bend being the older of the two, though. Bend. Out of curiosity, why? Smaller studio, no BAFTA award winners work there. True. Bigger, I'm sorry, bigger studio and no I, I BAFTA. Know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, you're right. They're a more costly studio, but Ben Studio has been around a long time, and even Days Gone was made with a significantly smaller team than most AAA games are. Um, that said, just because Ben's been around forever and been a good support studio for different things, Sony's not doing handhelds anymore, or at least as far as we can tell, dedicated handhelds. So them existing as a studio that can adapt other studios' work onto that and be like, okay, how do we make a Resistance game original for this? How do we make a Uncharted game for this handheld? That's gone. And since Ben Studio is seemingly were miserable being asked to be a support studio, I think the question would come that Ben Studio, if they don't do well, if Sony tried to make them a support studio, it just wouldn't go over well. And then they would end up shuttering the studio due to lack of workers, potentially. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Media molecules on my mind just because for however anyone feels about Days Gone, Days Gone still sold surprisingly well, even if it wasn't well enough. And Bend is a more, I don't know how to describe it. I wouldn't say Bend is a more name, like house name studio, because I think Media Molecule has a lot of stuff behind them. 
but media molecules working on a much longer streak of having no game to uh, justify their existence on a business level. Yeah. Again, I think for me, it's more the factor of the BAFTA winning and sheer studio size is important. Yeah. And that, and then the question is, do you want to to do whatever they wanted? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I think it's big that they were allowed to do whatever they wanted. So Mm, that's true. But you can do that with a small scale studio because you can be swift and adapting. Correct. So, Last one here. This one's an interesting question because I think I have my answer immediately, but I'm curious to see if you have any other thoughts on it. So MD asks, do you think PlayStation can reach a level of Apple conferences in terms of annual schedule? What I mean, can PlayStation afford having a hardware-focused conference a la the SEP Apple conference and a software-focused one a la WWDC on a yearly basis? Will they be able to achieve that? My gut feeling is that the way that the console market and industry and games industry in general are structured, it's no. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Because what you come into, think about this real quick, Jehudi, and this is kind of where, since you've asked it, I've been thinking about it. Phones iterate year on year. But phones are also sold at a huge profit markup. So phones on average take about $300 to build. And then they come over here and sell for roughly 1000 if not more. Um, so when you think about that kind of margin, there's a lot more of a reason on the, on the hardware side to continue that iteration and keep going um, because of the profit margins that come with it. And because of the fact that phones are considered a necessity for your day-to-day life now, in which consoles have not reached that point and probably never will by nature of what they are, they're a more focused and limited market. And so because of that, Sony has no reason to try and iterate that often because there's nothing that we've seen so far market-wise that would show that that would be successful or worth the time and money. And they exist in a way where right now they're happy to make a few dollars off of each console that's sold. They're not making four or five hundred dollars. Sorry, phone went off. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Tried to show. Uh, so that's on that's on the hardware side. I mean, is that kind of where your gut is there? Do you, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said about them not being consoles are not a necessity in the way phones are. They're just not. They're not a necessity, and wouldn't you be upset if once a year Sony was announcing new hardware? Your assumption would be that if you treat this like he's talking about with the phone case, that the games they're coming out with would still be supported for, you know, four or five phone generations, which would be four or five years. I think that. But it still feels crazy. We're we're seeing what's happening with the Xbox and the Series X. So at a certain point, let's say the games work for the next seven consoles, which already sounds insane. (laughs) The seventh console and the first console are going to have to be so different that why would you even start make a game that works with the first console instead of consoles three through seven? You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, just make a new one every seven years. Like I agree with the software focus thing. I think they should have an event more than once a year. It's crazy that it's been almost two years since we had an event. Thank you, Xbox. But you know. There's I I as a as a core consumer who would probably buy most of these consoles I would be fucking furious if I was getting a con a console launch every year I would be so pissed. Yeah, 
I just don't think any of the game console manufacturers would reach this point. I mean, to, no. we're to the point where Nintendo are apparently saying that they they're not to expect a Switch successor in fiscal year 2024, which means we have like. I mean, that's <laughs> think about bad. that. That's bad. <laughs> think about that. That makes Switch an already underpowered console have a very long life cycle. Insane. So with that in with that in mind, you come around here like we want. Games is games get looked at from a value proposition wildly different than phones. You complain that this PlayStation 5 that is way more powerful than your phone and cost half of what the average phone that the per, that people have and carry around. You complain that it's $500 mm-hmm. and you complain that the games on it are $70 uh, and varying things of in between. And yes, a phone has got a lot of free to play games and a lot of other factors that make it useful phone calls text communication social media all these things that consoles are not built or made to do but the point being is that the markets are just so different that i don't see how it could work that way unfortunately i agree with you chris unfortunately we seem to be at a point where either covid completely fucked up games development for long enough that this is why it's taken so long or covid just came at a time where it highlighted the fact that games are taking so long to make that you can't really justify having a yearly conference anymore because you can't know that you have anything that's going to be without within the next two or so years mm-hmm. to even show. And that sucks. Yeah. It's, but that's where the PS Plus teams come into play. You have something to show every year. Get back to having teams that make a game in a year or two. Right. Exactly. Smaller scale, cheaper games. Do it, might. Well, it kind of makes me wonder, like my real question for that setup is how reasonable would it be for teams to make, on average, PS3 style games in terms of, you know, graphics, like some of the higher end PS3 games. If you could get a game that looked about like Uncharted 3 on PS5 that was free as part of PS Plus and was about eight hours, yeah. Could you I mean, reasonably have that done for a couple, you know, for like $20 million and a two year development cycle? Maybe. But I, Does I don't that know. fill I, your gap? <laughs> I yeah. Don't know. I, I mean, I've been arguing for them to make teams specifically for smaller PS Plus level type games. So I guess the question is what is a smaller PS Plus level type game? That's why I, I point to PS3 because almost all of PS3's exclusives were like, 12 to 15 hours max. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So like it, and time is not always the best measurement. I don't really want to look at that. I mean, a game like Concrete Genie would have, I would have thought Pixel Opus would have been that. If, I, if we're going back to that, I thought Pixel Opus's clear spot to be was don't pump them with more money to make more expensive games. Let them make small scale games that are very artistic, that are included day and day and act as a incentive to get PlayStation Plus at a certain tier. Yeah, but apparently that's um, not it. So, I mean, I don't think two games in a decade can really support PS Plus. Maybe that's no, part you're of right. the failure. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that that and that might be what it was. Is that their plan was to become that, and it became development's too slow. But then that begs the question: Is that true across the industry? Because we're in a world where uh, Silk Song was. Hold on. <laughs> now I got to know. Silk Song was revealed in what 2019, and here we are in 2023, and we still don't have the game. And this is an indie game. Yeah, 
Now, I know it's made by two people, but the point being is if even indie games are reaching the point where they take five years to make, what do you do? There's nothing much you can do at that point. Because you think about Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight released in 2017. So it has been six years? (laughs) Yeah, six years. Since Hollow Knight. And we don't even have the follow-up to it yet. Now, give them credit for the fact they were porting from from PC to Switch and then to PS4. So they probably have only really been working on Silk Song in earnest for, you know, five or four years still. (sighs) Yeah, but I mean... Just the quality bar is very different between those two developers. The real question about all game development for me comes from what we see from Insomniac. If Insomniac at a AAA level can continue to put out a game at least once every two years, even if it's juggling teams, we found the secret sauce. That's it. <laughs> that, that's the sauce. It's whatever's in those waters. <laughs> you just go to Ted Price and you go, what do you do? do you beat your employees and just have a really tight grasp on them? Like, if you go and tell anybody, I'll box your ears. What are you doing that you can crunch so much and no one's upset about it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. All right, guys. As we said, this has been a long episode. I'm not going to make it any longer. I have things I need to do. Sleep, work. Chris has got things he needs to do. Sleep, work. Uh, We will be back next week. We will get to B. Rogers' question. We'll get to Velvet's Corner. Velvet, take a week off. We'll use your question next week. We'll play that. Velvet's Corner. There you are. Okay. I promise we will be back. I know there's a lot going on. Uh, let us know what you thought about the episode. I know it's just a different idea. We Something we wanted to try. Uh, we'll see how it plays out with you guys. But it was at least, if nothing else, an interesting time to look at what PlayStation Studios is doing, considering that we might get some answers in about two weeks. Chris, thank you for joining me. First, Thank you for having me. We do need to get a community's take question out there to which I ask you, what do you think the community's take should be? Should we speculate about the, should we flip around old Savoy Prime's question and go, hey, if there is a, a showcase, what do you personally want to see? Let's go with that. Let's go with that one. That's that sounds like a good one. All right. Well, Chris, as always, thank you for joining me. If you guys liked the episode, remember to review or rate us on whatever podcast service you are doing. If you're on YouTube and you like what we have going on, share the video if you think that it's worth sharing. If you liked what we're doing and want to keep up with us week by week, consider subscribing, hitting that bell. It'll let you know what we have coming. Uh, And last but certainly not least, we want to thank all of our patrons who go over to patreon.com slash nartech and give us a little as a dollar per month to help support this show uh we recently had some of you increase your tiers uh so we appreciate that without further ado we want to give a shout out to our patrons spencer brandon edwards alex barry rogers stingray x it's a sin to win aka sean aztec king leechion 69 the lord corgi hammond egger bailey robertson mark schutz cypher primus kyle grimm rude days 93 kevin bacon bits christopher Danny Villobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Sandaru. Thanks to each and every one of you. We'll be back next week. Bye.